is Katherine Hicks, a.k.a. Andy's mom, and I want to wish the Rants from the Back Lodge podcast a happy three-year anniversary as they view my movie, Child's Play. It's not my movie. It's everybody's movie. And uh, happy three-year anniversary, guys. I, uh, here's to many, many more. What are you guys doing there tonight? Hmm, a lodge? Sounds interesting. Wish I could be there with y'all to celebrate. Thanks for liking the movie. Sounds like you have a nice group of people. Take care. Live from the Black Lodge, it's me, the free will burning, head turning, ass kicking, machismo dripping, master podcast and mouthpiece of the Southeast. Brandon A. Lane bringing you a new edition of the Rants from the Black Lodge podcast, but not just any edition. Tonight is our three year anniversary episode, but any celebration is only as good as its guest of honor. So it is with great pleasure that we were gifted that incredible introduction at the top of the episode from none other than Katherine Hicks, who is the star of the film we are spotlighting tonight as we head into our fourth season. That film, of course, is 1988's Killer Doll Dynamo, known as Child's Play. You know, Child's Play is one of my all-time favorite films, and tonight we're going to do our damnedest to articulate why that is and why it has continued to be so well-regarded, not only by myself, but by the critics at large and its fandom as well. But we're not going into the toy box alone, so stay tuned later on in this episode when we will hear from star Alex Vincent about his experiences on the film as well. But first, here's some messages from our sponsors. Next Generation Wrestling brings some of the most talked about and star-studded professional wrestlers from around the world. Based out of East Tennessee, NGW is becoming one of the most sought-after independent wrestling promotions in the past four years. Witness NGW Live or on demand on the High Spots Wrestling Network streaming app. Follow us on social media platforms at NextGenTN. Since the inception of the Rants from the Black Lodge podcast, there has been a short list of movies that were inevitable to be tackled by the Rant Army, and the film we're spotlighting tonight is a worthy choice to be the topic of discussion for our three-year anniversary spectacular! Woo! And tonight will not only be a celebration of this particular movie, but also a celebration of this podcast in general as we begin our fourth season. And there is no better compatriot to join me for this episode's War of Words than the head-banging, pipe-laying, beer-swelling, pork-chop-grilling. He can believe it's not butter, and he will fuck you up for trying to trick him. The auteur of all things alcoholic. Fat Tony! Yes! I have my bass buzz laid. I'm ready to talk about a movie that fucked me up as a kid. Indeed, the same for me, and we'll talk about that a little more in length. I, of course, am your host, Brandon A. Lane, and tonight's excursion into the darkness takes us to the mean streets of Chicago in pursuit of the Lakeshore Strangler. But you may finally remember him better as his, as the little, little guy creeping under your bed when you're a little kid red hair, blue eyes, and all things frightening that we fear in this world in 2020. Chucky, the killer doll. That's right, tonight we tackle one of my all-time favorites, 
Child's play. I do it, Imbala. Give me the power I beg you. Well, let's let's save the uh, voodoo for a uh, discussion for a little later on, but we're definitely going to be tackling. This is the... America. You don't tell me what to do. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have some. Uh, uh, we'll riot with one another. <laughs> we will um, later. Off, off, uh, off uh, mic recording. <laughs> All right. Uh, Child's Play was released November 9th, nineteen eighty-eight. It's coming up on its thirty-two year anniversary. I, you know, it's. I was at a very formidable age when I saw this. Pretty much the age of Andy, our protagonist of the film. I saw it in the second grade on home video. Yeah, this is a movie that has stuck with me in many ways, and we'll discuss them as we continue on. It was made on a budget estimated for $9 million. That's actually a pretty high budget. That's a pretty high budget for a Hollywood slasher, but with the doll effects... And all that, the, the mechanics involved. I get that. Yeah, they the needed one, that. wonderful effects by Kevin Yeager. But it's just, it's funny that, like, this film, uh, which, I mean, if you were to look at it on paper, like, well, this is kind of dumb. Like, this could have been done a lot more cheaply, but way, way, yeah, way, way, worse. way worse. I mean, there's all sorts of doll movies that have uh, existed throughout Dolly the horror. Dolly Dearest and uh, bullshit imitators and precursors. Uh, the Great Twilight Zone episode. Oh, yeah, great episode. Um, but somebody in the production company was smart enough to say, hey, this is what they say they need. Let's let's fund it, and let's make some fucking money. Well, thank you, MGM. One of the one of the positive uh, things I can say about you, uh, I mean, you're kind of keeping your nose clean in these, these days of Disney uh, domination, but, uh, you know, thank you for funding a movie that has uh, been a cornerstone of my fandom for... Pretty much my the entirety of my life. Now it's estimated nine million dollar budget. If you were to in, uh, adjust that for inflation in twenty twenty dollars, that comes to roughly nineteen million dollars. Uh, that's that's crazy. Uh, I, I know, like that. Okay, the remake, which we're going to touch on a little bit. I don't know the exact budget for it, but that sounds more in line with the budget for what remakes of slasher films get because they're trying to get one last drip of you know dollar out of it um but yeah that's a that's an incredible amount of money but it's uh it's opening weekend it almost made it all back six million five hundred eighty three thousand nine hundred sixty three dollars adjusted for inflation that comes to fourteen million two hundred sixty nine thousand five hundred and five five hundred and fifty seven dollars and its entire u.s gross thirty three million $244,684 $244,684 adjusted for inflation. That comes to $72,851,880.89. We love you, Chucky. Yeah, that's a, that's crazy. But it, it's worldwide gross. Here's where we get a little crazy, crazy money. Uh, not that much difference, but $44,196,684 adjusted for inflation. $95 million. $788,373.61. Child's Play is almost a $100 million movie. Now, $100 million is not now what it was then. Yeah. But but still, like, that is a hell of a fucking profit on a movie made for less than $10 million. It, it absolutely is. It's a fucking, uh, I think it hit right at the right time of... <coughs> horror movie franchises having a lot of sequels, but not out of steam yet. But the humor starting to build up in the horror movie franchises because this movie, make no mistake, it still fucked me up as a kid. And we'll get into the scenes that did it, 
But it's this still like Chucky's funny. Like he is. Like he a has little, a, a little less in this movie than he would exactly, become. Exactly, but they still it's they still have the humor there. A we're bit. we're definitely going to be highlighting uh, and contrasting the the humor to horror ratio in this film. Oh, and yeah. the uh, the critics were uh, fairly uh, responsive to a child's play as opposed to a lot of the other fair that came out in this particular year and just slashers in general. Uh, IMDb has it rated as a six point six out of ten. I think that may be a little bit low, but across the board, if normal I'm looking human at being, norm, normies, I would still give it a seven out of ten. But uh, Rotten Tomatoes has it at a seventy-one percent. Wow. Uh, that's I still say that's still probably a little low, but fresh rating all the same. Again, for a slasher. Here's film. what here's what got me. Uh, the audience score sixty three percent. They can all lick my asshole. Yeah, like like full blown, like right after uh, carne asada. Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> now I'm going Taco Bell dollar menu. I want this shit to be mad because this is just like Nightmare Two that the IMD uh, the tomato meters higher than the audience score. That's very rare. Yeah, and every audience member that doesn't like it is stupid and a, a pox <laughs> upon your house. Yes, may you may you uh, get all the diseases at once. Coronavirus. Yeah, that and um, all sorts of butt diseases. You know yeah. how you got them, you dirty motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> all right, the um, the Metacritic score fifty eight of a hundred. That's way too low. Absolutely. Um, Google users, you want to take a, you wanna, you want to take uh, a guess? I'm going ninety. I'm going to have faith in them. Yeah, you're wrong. Eighty one percent. This is the only time you really... I mean, it's still higher than the others, but you let me down, it, Google. For me, I'd put it anywhere between the 85 to 89 range. That's just me, because I do think this film has issues, but a lot of them are... Like, at the time, I think it would have been a, a solid 90. But if you were to view this through the lens of today, it does have some issues, and... Um, I refuse to view <laughs> things through the lens of today. I only live in the past. Fuck you! Uh, I, I I wish I, I wish I could only have uh, 1985 goggles, but uh, unfortunately, uh, with every subsequent viewing, I mean, you stop viewing it as a fan and start viewing it as a critic. It's one of the drawbacks of doing a I podcast. I recently watched it myself. It's still incredibly. It's enjoyable. still incredible. And evidently, the people at Shutter found the most enjoyment out of it, having it as a four point egg out of five. That for horror movie fans, that's right on the money. I it's will just shy perfect. If you're a horror movie fan, you know this movie's just shy perfect. Absolutely agree. So, Fat Tony, what do we got on the hit list for Child's Play? We have six, four. If you do not count the deaths of Charles Lee Ray and Chucky. And um, being that Charles Lee Ray kind of dies uh, a very quick, somewhat unmemorable death, uh, I, I I could understand that. But Chucky has a fucking phenomenal death, and we'll get to that when we when we cover I, I, it. I'm but. gonna say five because I still count the death at the beginning of Charles Lee Ray and the death of Chucky at the end as one kill. I'm gonna say my personal and my heart of hearts, it's five. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to say six just because he's definitively, his body, his body, <laughs> the Charles Lee Ray body movie. is definitively dead. Yes. And if it were not for the fact of a greedy corporation of uh, digging up a bunch of bullshit. Fuck you, rich uh, white people. Bring it back. In part two. Then, you know, the, the legacy of Chucky would be DOA. But that's a, a play, pleasant story we will uh, 
observe at a later time because you know we're going to do Child's Play oh, 2 yeah. and beyond on down the line. I got a lot to say about the sequels. And we'll touch on a little bit here or there as we I continue. I like where they differentiate from Child's Play to the Chucky. I got to kind of talk about that a little. Um, six kills averages to roughly one kill every 14.5 minutes. So that's almost exactly the perfect uh, ratio for a slasher film. And this is, I mean, this is as a smaller body count. Um, but so it has a lot more in common with probably a, yeah, kind of like there's some quality, like, you know, you got the, the quick kills at the beginning of the setup, but the last three prior to Chucky being killed at the end are pretty solid kills. One of them, again, I'm going to say top 20 slasher movie kills of all time. In this movie with the Voodoo Priest, right. later we'll, we'll get on to we'll, that. We'll talk about it, um, and we'll we'll give our assertions for you know ratings and so on and so forth. Um, but I'm gonna agree with you that the the things that are memorable about this movie are ones that will stick with you. Um, however, one thing that will not stick with you, and I have to say, we were blessed last month with a plethora, a plethora of bouncing boobies. But I fear that the great titty drought of 2020 has resumed. Stank Dick Eddie's titty tally, we have a big goose egg. Well, this first movie, especially about a mother and son, you know, you could have thrown in a mom shower scene. I'm oh, just saying, but I get let, why there's no titty. Listen, it was nice uh, connecting uh, very briefly with um, Catherine Hicks. Um, thank you so much for, thank you. for doing that introduction. Although you, uh, um, at least, I don't know, we'll, we'll get to this. Uh, I, at the time that we're recording this, uh, she sent in audio and there's a little bit of a flub. And if... Uh, by the time this episode comes out, there is not a flub. Disregard everything I'm saying right now, but we still love you. But please return, love you. return my email. <laughs> um, all the same, um, yeah, I would have loved to have seen Catherine Hicks. Um, I should now. She's. I should just say would have. I still will. She's she's almost seventy years old, and my God, she is. She's held together really well. We'll talk about her a little bit later. Um, we do have a lack of major boobies. Uh, you know, in Child's Play. But in honor of the three-year anniversary, we're going to have a brand new segment that will continue on as we continue into our fourth season, where we will look into what other horror movies came out in a particular year, uh, year and we'll break down financially where our spotlighted films rank in terms of box office returns. This segment is called Stiff Competition. So, Fat Tony... What was the stiff competition for Child's Play in 1988? Now, this is some stiff fucking competition right here, looking at this list. You have John Carpenter's They Live, an absolute masterpiece, and the truly the greatest remake of all time, followed only by Evil Dead. They Live is they live not a remake. The, oh, that They Live? Oh my god, I'm drunk, people. I'm sorry. I was thinking of... The, the thing. The thing. No, they... It's the greatest Roddy Piper movie of all time. Fight me on that. Oh, I don't know. Come How on. comes the Frog How Town? Comes the frog town has I, frog people in we it. We will fight like the scene in They Live. <laughs> Killer Clowns from Motherfucking Outer Space. Halloween 4, which is now currently the number one most downloaded podcast instead of Nightmare 4. But that's okay, because at least it's not Kiss. <laughs> the... Suck it, fat fucks. God. Suck it. I don't know why I would say I'll tell him to suck it. I'm on all these episodes, so it's sort of a slight against me and a positive at the same now time. I'm just, I, you know, the Blob remake, which I absolutely loved, and I Great hope we get special to do that fix. one day. It Great absolutely is. Beetlejuice. Everyone born in the 80s, one of their favorite childhood movies, Beetlejuice. 
Hellbound, Hellraiser 2, my personal favorite out of the series. The Serpent and the Motherfucking Rainbow, Wes Craven's best directed movie. I won't even argue with you that uh, on that, um, but it's, in, it's interesting that in the same year, we have somewhat of a cartoony aspect of voodoo in Child's Play, yeah, and then we have a really grounded, more authentic take with The Serpent and the Rainbow. Absolutely. Poltergeist 3, which is dog shit horrible, but at least they tried to do all the effects uh, in you, camera. You know, I, I hate it. But it's such an interesting movie. It is. I'll give you that. There's some interesting things. I like that they did all effects in camera and everything. Especially having to work around Heather or yes, being dead. That's so tragic. Phantasm 2. The only Phantasm movie to come out in the 80s. Friday the 13th Part 7. My personal favorite Jason appearance. Mask on and off. As we discussed, you don't like the mask off. He looks like a frog. Shout out to Kane Hodder. Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master, which should be the dominant... Actually, no. If anybody's going to raise a Drunk Tony episode, they need to do Nightmare 2. That that or The Exorcist are the, my favorite episodes currently that I've done. I, I, I would be hard-pressed yeah. to argue against you. Waxwork. Oh, my God. Uh, screw Gremlins. This is that guy's best movie. Zach Galligan? Zach Galligan. Return of the Living Dead 2. Eh, it's Okay. And you know, of the, wait. Return of the Living Dead 2 would be a great horror film had it been made by Disney. You know it what I mean? It really would have. I see exactly what you mean. And Night of the Demons. One thing that fucked me up about titties and lipstick. Oh my god. Um, I love you. Um, oh my you know god. Her name. Yeah. Um, fuck. I'm, I'm a little buzzed myself. We're buzzed. Uh, but she... She, she uh, circles her breasts with the <laughs> lipstick and then pushes it in the nipple, which profoundly distressed. <laughs> the only scene in the movie I was really scared by as a young man, Leanna Quigley. Linnea Quigley. Linnea Quigley. I actually spoke with her not long ago about doing an interview, and she agreed to it, but I couldn't get her to figure out how to use Skype. It was so heartbreaking. I love you, Linnea, and thank you so much for thank indulging you. me. We and will always love you. We're keeping it on the table. She's, she's trying, and uh, I didn't want to be too pushy with her because she was nice enough to... Responded back to me multiple times. I just have to say, that's a lot of fucking stiff competition. So, by simply by reading that list, um, what was the highest grossing horror movie of 1988? And if not Child's Play, where do you think it ranks? So, my question to you, what do you think of these... Of oh, this came uh, out number one financially? What do you think is number one financially, and where do you think, say... Out of like 15, Child's Play is. I'm going to say the highest grossing was Halloween 4, because it's been a while since the sequel. It's Michael returning. This is, again, I have no idea. And I'm going to say that of all the of all these on this list, Chucky probably came in third. One of the assertions you just made is correct. And you're, about, four. you're about to find it. No, I'll, I'll let oh. you know as we go on. So, counting down from number five to number one, I will now list the biggest horror movies of 1988 based solely on their world, worldwide grosses. Coming in at number five, Friday the 13th Part 7, which uh, grossed $19,170,001. Coming in at number four, and this one surprised me because I, I never really thought about this as being a, a huge hit, but comparative to its budget, it was a runaway success. The Serpent and the Rainbow, $19,595,031. Coming in at number three, Child's Play with $44,196,684. Uh, 
coming in at number two. Uh, check this out in our uh, backlog catalog. Uh, JuicyKruger.com, Nightmare on Elm Street Part Four: The Dream Master with four uh, with forty nine million three hundred and sixty nine thousand eight hundred and ninety nine dollars, and coming in at number one, Beetlejuice with seventy four ah, million two hundred and seventy thousand and seventy four dollars. I almost left Beetlejuice off this list because it's it is more in the comedy than than. Genre than com- horror. It's a quirky movie. But, but horror movie fans yeah, are probably the reason this movie was as big as it was, but there was enough cast off from just normies that it, this is why it had near $100 million gross, and what today would be over $100 million gross. Charles- so I didn't hear Halloween 4 anywhere on that list, which should not be the most number one downloaded episode. Um, Halloween 4, I, I, and don't quote me on this, I think was number six. It was close to Friday Thirteenth. It's not a bad movie, um, but you got to think it was released by a. This is before Dimension got them, so their uh, the amount of screens that it was on was way less. So the promotion, like Paramount, had the promotion to pump Friday the Thirteenth. The same with uh, New Line with Serpent the Rainbow, MGM with uh, Child's Play, um, New Line again with um, Nightmare, and I can't remember who released Beetlejuice, but. My point being, bigger studios, more advertising dollars put behind these things. But you got to look at it in perspective. Child's Play, number three of horror films. Now, with all that, that competition? With all that competition. Yeah. Now, if we, like, 1989 was one of the biggest years of movies ever. So, these are peanut numbers comparatively uh-huh. to, like, uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, RoboCop, Ghostbusters 2, the biggest movie of 1989, uh, Batman. Yeah. So, but still, these are respectable numbers for low-budget films. That Absolutely. 1989, banner year for horror films. Now, Child's Play may not be the biggest horror film of 1988, but it definitely has left a huge mark on the horror lexicon. But before we can dissect the film at hand, we need to talk about the road ahead that led to its production. So, let's go from page to screen. Okay, screen, screenwriter Don Mancini first conceived of the concept of what would become Child's Play while studying as a film major at the University of California. Uh, reportedly, he was inspired by a rampant uh, consumerism that was happening in the 1980s. Uh, big shock, Reaganomics, uh, oh, yeah. everything, uh, the decentralizing of government and deregulation of, of advertising to children. It was just, it, everything was... Spoon fed. It was it was a great time and a horrible time at the same time. I blame Madonna's Material Girl solely on the eighties, uh, or I blame the eighties solely on that song. <laughs> totally, everything bad is all Madonna's fault. Yeah, okay, I can I can I can agree with that. All good things, um, Ozzy in the eighties. Sure, sure. Why not? Um, in particularly the re- the release of the Cabbage Patch Kids doll. That's what really cemented this whole idea as something to pursue. I have to interject here. My grandmother bought my older sister a Cabbage Patch doll the year they came out with a hot toy and was nearly trampled in doing so. So I absolutely understand why that made such an impression on me. Have you ever seen the footage uh, from like Dateline and stuff? Oh yeah, absolutely. It's insane. And my grandma was right in the middle of that for my older sister. And I mean, she got it. I mean, but you got to think too. This is 
pre nineties, <coughs> like in the nineties, is where it really became a thing of like midnight shopping, uh, uh, Black Friday, and you know, showing up at like three in the morning to like you know to to get in line for five o'clock release and it, consumerism. You can uh, counterbalance the the good and the bad all you want, but when people go crazy over something. All respectability goes out the window. Human life means nothing. Yeah, (laughs) and uh, I see that on a daily basis working in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. (laughs) Fuck you, Gatlinburg. Wear a fucking mask, you pieces of shit. (laughs) So, in the original script, which at the time was bouncing around between many titles, including uh, Blood Buddy, uh, Bloody Buddy, uh, Batteries Not Included, which obviously didn't end up being used. I because that movie so much as at, a kid. Yes, because the Spielberg the movie. Aliens. Uh, he, he didn't direct that. He, he produced, produced it. it. Um, all the same. Uh, Spielberg has a lot of clout. So it's like, you can't use the term. <laughs> the title, uh, Batteries Not Included. Um, this version uh, that Mancini had sort of constructed originally saw the doll Buddy with the gimmick of it being filled with fake blood and would allow it to bleed if it was played too with too roughly. Um, Every kid in the 80s would have just torn it apart with a fucking knife immediately. As as a fucked up kid, I would have wanted that doll to bleed yes. so bad. <laughs> bleed. <laughs> um, we'll talk about the original incarnation of the sk- uh, script when we get to Don Mancini a, a little bit later on the podcast. Um, MGM slash United Artists were very interested in producing the script um, but by the time it went into production, it had evolved into the script that we know today as Child's Play. And that it's a combination of contributions from the director, Tom Holland, uh, Don Mancini, you know, sort of a collaborative effort, a little bit of a budding one with uh, things being implemented that weren't initially discussed. But, you know, that's the nature of collaboration. One person's bound to have an edge or a position to be able to implement things that maybe the other side doesn't want. But for better or worse, the movie that we ended up with is the movie we ended I'm up gonna with. I'm going to go, I know Don Mancini's original idea. I'm going to go with this case that I like the way what we got. It's an interesting idea, but I like what we got. Um, the film has re- released a commercial success and mostly critical praise, but it wasn't loved by ev- everyone. In fact, not long after the release of of the film, there was a crowd of protesters who formed at the entrance of MGM Studios the calling for an all-out ban of the film. They claimed it would incite violence in children. You know, uh, why are children watching it, you dumbasses? <laughs> this is an interesting point, but I can't really argue against it from the from the prospect, or from the position, rather, that I saw it when I was that age. However, I have been uh, quite adamant about not committing felonies. Uh, I can't say that about myself, but it was not inspired by Child's Play. Okay, well, fair enough. Uh, maybe it should have been. I, <laughs> I wouldn't be here today. I'd still... <laughs> okay, so uh, local news reporters were broadcasting live uh, from the scene where producer uh, David Kirshner went down and he spoke to the ringleader and he somehow convinced the group to disband, uh, much to the chagrin of the newscasters who were they were just looking for a story to sensationalize this. And this is 1988. You put that in 2020, this would have been like, at least for a couple of days, like the biggest like scandal on the planet. Oh my God, yes. 24-hour news cycle, I blame more than anything for the destruction of America's common sense. 
you know, a few years later, it would seem, at least to a degree, those parents' concerns, they weren't entirely unfounded. Um, case in point, the 1992 kidnapping, torture, and murder of Suzanne Capper, and I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, in Manchester, England. Oh, um, yeah. 16-year-old Suzanne would unfortunately come into contact with her killers while babysitting for a woman named Jean Powell. Capper uh, had been spending more and more time at the Powell's house, and her mother and stepfather were in the process of separating. So that she's already like going through a bunch of turmoil. Um, Powell, along with her close friend Bernadette McNally, uh, began bullying Capper into doing their bidding. So they they took this impressionable, impressionable girl, and they sort of forced her to do these really awful things. And on December 7th, 1992... Suzanne was lured into Jean Powell's home where she and Bernadette McNeil, uh, which was uh, Powell's ex-husband, Glenn, and uh, McNeil's boyfriend at the time, named Anthony Dunstan, they were waiting for her. And over the next five days after the kidnapping, Suzanne was subjected to increasingly violent acts escalating over the time that she was held. They subjected her to audio torture in the form of rave music, which no one should be subjected no. to, like, uh, torture or otherwise. Um, they played it at maximum volume, like, near her ears, like, just blowing her eardrums out. And they they would play audio samples from Child's Play, and they regularly, regularly would torture her and begin, like, each session with, quote-unquote, Chucky's coming to play. Now, after days of torture, they left her for dead. She passed away on December 18th, and she just succumbed to her injuries. It's kind of like a, a death by a thousand cuts. It's a lot of little yeah. things, but they all added up, and it's it's awful that, that all this happened to her. Um, when the case came to the public eye, there was a moral panic, you know, when people found out that the murders were, quote-unquote, driven by, by a child's play. Um, I don't blame the Beach Boys for Charles Manson. Maybe you should. <laughs> Maybe I should. No, I blame the Beach Boys for heinous things other than that. Um, but, my, yeah, uh, shit like that is, you're always going to have mentally unhinged people that get onto any media. I, oh, case in point, there are such a thing as bronies. They're not right in the fucking head, but, you know, they're just coming on little dolls of horses. <laughs> so that's fine. And let's keep it that way. Hey, and just for and for for reference, if you want to jizz on toys, toys, do it. that that's your fucking Leave personal preference. I'm people. all for that, but don't don't press uh, don't press your luck with trying to do that shit there's to people a, unsuspectingly. There's a pretty dirty looking Peter Vinkman figure in this house. I'm just saying, I don't know what Brandon's doing. No, there's not. He would never do. Defy. I do have a Peter Vinkman. I have several Peter Vinkman. Several Vinkman. Peter Vinkman, but I wouldn't come on Peter. Come on no. now. That's, that would be wrong. He's, he's the, you have a Janine figure? I, I do. I do. <laughs> there you go. She's in the other room. But. Okay. Well, I mean, that's just normal then. No, I, like shit like this is always unfortunate. It's horrible, but uh, it's not the media that makes you... If, if they'd never seen Child's Play, these people would have found something else. I, I I'm agree. not an apologist in 100%. There are some people that specific media triggers. You know, it does, and it's unfortunate... And I'm not saying it's, you know, it's the people, not the art. I agree. And inspiration comes from many forms. 
uh, like it is, and this is a hypothetical, but you know, if, if someone were to be, you know, inspired to kill by an advertisement for some apples, would we ban apples? You know what I mean? Like, it's like, how do you know my plans? Exactly. Um, but do you remember when like the whole, uh, Hellbop comet cult happened? Heaven's Gate. Heaven's Gate. Um, Doe, I think was his name, Marshall yes. Applewhite. And there was a whole big media sensation, and there was a time, and believe this or not, this was back in the 90s, when we were, you know, less susceptible to the pressuring of social media because it didn't exist, but there was a call to ban Nikes because they all wore Nikes. Yes. And that didn't happen, but I have to think, like, now... There would at least be a consideration, like, well, maybe we should ban Nikes. They just wanted to board the, the craft looking fly, yo. Well, Marshall yeah. Applewhite's a crazy son of a bitch, and that whole story is insane. Yeah, like, I there's, there's some really good documentaries about that. If you're interested in cults in any uh, any sense, um, watch that. And also watch the, scientific, uh, the Scientology documentary, uh, Going, Going Clear, clear. Yes. on HBO. Um, fuck Scientology, and, fuck you, Zeno. And fuck you, Tom Cruise. Fuck you, Tom Cruise. I need to make a fuck you, Tom Cruise shirt that needs to be... Uh, <laughs> At least I'd get you sued and get you the exposure. <laughs> he's a public He's a public figure. I know, but he'd still sue just to bog you down. Oh, I would defend yourself. I would greatly uh, invite you, Tom Cruise, who will never hear this, uh, to sue me. My name is Brandon A. Lane. I live at one of the... <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Fat Tony, if you'd be so kind to read the synopsis for 1988's Child's Play, we'll continue on with our discussion of this film in total. The chills come thick and fast, Los Angeles Times. In this riveting, jolt-a-minute thriller about an innocent-looking doll inhabited by the soul of a serial killer who refused to die from the director of Fright Night, Child's Play comes complete with excellent special effects. Leonard Malton. In this clever, playful thriller of the New York Times, only six-year-old Andy realizes that Chucky is responsible for a spate of gruesome murders, including that of his unsuspecting babysitter. But the real terror takes hold when the deranged doll becomes determined to transfer his evil spirit into a living human being, Andy. Notice in the span of that synopsis, it refers to this as a thriller twice and not even once as a horror movie. So my question to this, this is something we deal with pretty regularly on the podcast. Do you think that is a marketing mandate because thrillers are more generally reviewed more kindly? I think so. It's a horror movie. It's a straight up supernatural slasher film. They want to say thriller so people can... So Leonard Moulton can say there's actual excellent special effects in the New York Times. Clever, playful thriller. It's bullshit. I'm insulted by it. But I get it totally. Huh? I, I and, and I agree. Like I, They gotta do what they gotta do to market a movie yeah. so it'll see the most amount of people. But even if this movie had been bad, do you think Leonard Moulton would still be saying the special effects are amazing? I mean... Probably not. Exactly. Been distracted by the bad. Even if you have, I'm trying to think. Of, well, they're okay. No, it's too like there's there was that movie, uh, 2012, amazing effects, horrible, fucking boring ass movie. So no, probably not. I mean, CGI aside, back in the you know the the blood and guts, you know elbow grease and Best duct tape kind of days, like special effects were sort of like the like the peak of their you know coming into that like the late 80s 
early 90s up until like Jurassic Park where you have a blend of CGI and stuff. But for critics to even acknowledge them, like society has amazing special effects, but you would never hear a mainstream stream critic saying, hey, this movie has great special effects. If I heard he also- nobody say anything about the special effects in Schindler's List, which there were amazing special effects. Yeah, they, they, there were. There were. Anyway, but sorry I mean, I'm just saying. I'm just thought. saying that like the, 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 there is a inherent bias to horror films, regardless if if the story or the framework is something that you would enjoy as a critic. One thing that generally, films of this time, of this ilk, they all had memorable special effects, but that's never talked about. No, they were not. They were never na- uh, nominated for effects, you know. In the Oscars. In the Oscars, and I mean, that's, you know, a little later on. Oh, actually, no, that was, uh, uh, started in the early 80s. Somewhere. Um, I want to say, we talked about this in The Exorcist, it was, uh, uh, Fuck. Ah, uh, shit. Um, American Werewolf in London? Was oh, yeah. the first one? Yeah. But but even still, like, here we are a few years later, and I don't understand, like, why would this movie not even be in consideration for special effects? And we'll talk about that as we get into Kevin Yeager. Elitist but... Hollywood a- Academy members. Yeah, it's just... And the it's... Illuminati. And it's obvious that even watching the trailer that this is a slasher movie, albeit one with a unique premise... One person who I believe wouldn't mind referring to Child's Play as a horror film would be its writer. The good old-fashioned uh, purveyor and holder of the, the holy grail of all things Child's Play, Don Mancini. Um, his body of work um, has mostly been Chucky, but he's written some things that you, uh, you, you and I have probably seen, and maybe some of you out there as well. Uh, Cellar Dweller, which was directed by John Carl Beekler. Somehow, John Carl Beekler ends up being at least mentioned in almost every episode because we do. The man had a profound impact on horror. Yeah, he was he was just a hitting home runs. R.I.P. Motherfucker. Yeah, we miss you. But hitting home runs, just I mean, constantly, constantly. the late, uh, the mid late eighties. Just I mean, every every couple of years, something of note. Um, he's written several episodes for the Hannibal series. Did you ever see the Hannibal I series? I fucking love the Hannibal series. Um, I held off on it a while. Um, because it was like an NBC or CBS yeah. show, I can't remember, and it was until it got released on um, Amazon Prime that I actually saw it, and I and I gotta say, it it's pretty fucking good. It ended it really, really shittily, and they I hope it gets revived, but it you know, won't. it probably won't. This is twenty twenty, the year of dying dreams <laughs> and bleak futures. Um, he also wrote a few episodes of Channel Zero. I haven't seen it, but it's... Uh, Channel Zero's the shit. I've seen the first two seasons. I fucking loved every minute of both of them. Yeah. I don't know anything about further seasons, but first two seasons are fucking solid. It's on Shudder. I'm going to be giving it a viewing. It's been on my to-do list, and unfortunately, had it not been for me going back to work, it was literally the next thing up, but uh, I'll get to it on my days off. But let's just uh, call a spade a spade. The thing he's most known for is fucking Chucky, Child's Play, whatever you want to say. He's one of the few creators that has kept a foothold and locked down on it for the most part. For the majority, with the exception of the remake, which we'll get into we'll, later. We'll talk a little but bit he's about always, it. But he's had a hand in it constantly. And I fuck, that's why I think he, the level of quality in those movies didn't drop off as precipitously as other franchises. 
And, and if you ask some people, the quality increases depending on what you want out it's, of the character. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I see both sides of that argument. Um, he has written all seven original films, and he has directed every film in the series from Seed of Chucky onward. So the last three, not including the remake, which is its own thing. Yeah. Yeah. Seed, yeah, that's Curse, why it's Child's Play, and that's why they leave Chucky in, in the Don Mancini films. And spoiler alert, I didn't hate the remake, you know. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll discuss the the, the, the positive positives and the negatives of it uh, a little a little bit on. Um, the Child's Play series series has the distinction, as you kind of pointed out, um, as being one of the only major uh, horror franchises to have the same creative force behind it through its entire run. So let's break it down. You've got Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which was helmed by Toby Hooper for two films, but then it was passed on from person to person. And you could argue, even though like we love Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3 and the remake, that it's sort of been like yeah. fluctuating ever since. Uh, Halloween had John Carpenter 1 through 3. Everybody hates 3. They're wrong. They're wrong and stupid. But he didn't direct 2 and 3, but he, he wrote them. And he came up with the, the infamous twist of two that's been discarded by the newest one. He hated it, and that's been rectified by the, the newer films, which he's also working on, but not in a directing great, capacity. Great soundtrack, or score. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. The, the newest Halloween film has me has me hungry for the series for the first oh, time yeah. in a long time. Oh, absolutely. Um, Friday 13th had a consistent producer in Frank Mancuso Jr., but no ongoing, uh, ongoing writers or directors with the exception of Steve Miner, who directed 2 and 3. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street had Wes Craven as a writer for 1, 3, and New Nightmare, and he directed two of those films, but really, other than that, you've he got... He was just kind of ashamed of it, unfortunately. I mean, yeah, kind of. Um, I I mean, he's passed on now, but I, I would have to think that before he died, he probably looked upon it more favorably yes, than he but did. you're in the, the middle of it, you know, wanting to do more, wanting to make your music of the heart, but yeah. you're stuck. Yeah. Fuck that movie. <laughs> I mean, good, good for you, Wes Craven, I'm for, glad for you breaking out of your bubble. You... Not, not the movie we wanted you to make. I would have loved to have seen another... Red Eye broke the mold, but it was still a good movie. It's actually a really good it's movie. A straight uh, thriller. Cillian Murphy and um, uh, Rachel McAdams. Yep. Yeah, good stuff. Um, Scream does have Wes Craven, who directed the fourth film, all four films, and uh, Kevin Williamson... Uh, wrote one, two, and four. He didn't do the third one, and but now with the announcement of part five, uh, we're not going to have Craven behind no. the, the camera. So, um, Clive Barker divorced himself from the Hellraiser series after the fourth film, and he only really was involved with the first two. Um, Phantasm has Don Coscarelli in the director's chair for the first four films, um, but you know the fifth film, not really, other than. Like, go out and do it. So, you know, I could go on and on with others, but I think I've made my point. Having a consistent consistent creative force behind a franchise was and is invaluable. So, let's talk about Don Mancini's importance to the Child's Play franchise as far as creativity goes. Do you think Child's <coughs> Play, without Don Mancini, like, say... Child's Play 2, different writers, would it have progressed in the way that it has? No. No, it wouldn't have. And uh, the arc of the the typical slasher franchise was kind of, I believe, embraced 
by Don Mancini. Don Don Mancini. Mancini. Uh, for some reason, I almost said Mancuso. It got messed uh, up. It's Frank Mancuso. Don Mancini. <laughs> I know. It's Don Mancini, where they all get more ridiculous and comedic. Like I think he embraced that. The first one is scary as fuck. The second one still scary, kind of you know a little bit more grandiose. I love it. It's my favorite ending of all the whole series. Uh, the third one, the third one, honestly, I'm not a huge fan I, of. I but don't... then he realized with it's all going to get ridiculous. Let's make a fucking rom com horror movie. Let's make a family comedy. Then yo know, with Curse of Chucky. You know, kind of brought it back to horror. I, I want to say this just f- for anybody that would care to hear my opinion on it. I think Curse of Chucky deserves to be viewed because uh, there's a lot of people out there that did not watch this movie simply because it went direct to video. It was fucking Cur- amazing. Curse of Chucky. If I'm to be serious and really think about the it, the second scariest. It's well, I'm going to say this probably the second or third best movie of of the series, oh, I won't depending argue, yeah. on what you're looking yeah, for. Yeah, if you're looking for scares, it's definitely second, because it has one of my favorite Chucky moments. Little girls, I'm scared, and he's laughing. You, you fucking should be. <laughs> fucking amazing. Uh, and we, you know, we got to see um, uh, some acting outside of the Chucky role once again by uh, Brad Dourif, yes. which, was, which was awesome. I didn't realize that was his daughter in the lead role. Oh, yeah, Fiona. That was cool. Uh, but, you know, no, it, he... With him as a guiding force behind all these movies, it didn't just fall into bullshit. There was no Halloween resurrection for the Child's Play slash Chucky series. You know, there are people that that hate Seed of Chucky, and I'm, I'm going to say this uh, because uh, I want I'll, I'll say as much as I can without giving away the apple cart because I want to do Seed of Chucky eventually on this podcast, but. Seed of Chucky gets a bad rap, and it doesn't deserve it. That's no, all, I that's, fucking love that, it. That is all I'm going to say. We'll save it for another podcast, but um, Seed of Chucky uh, should be higher on people's list. And I think if they watched it for what it was, it probably would raise. So if you watched it in the theater and you didn't enjoy it, um, divorce yourself of your expectations. Watch it for what it is, and I think you might actually enjoy it. I agree. Um being that Child's Play has a singular creative force behind it, especially in the writing department, it lends itself to a more streamlined continuity from film to film. So, slasher films are not really known for their strong no. continuity. Do you think Child's Play has the best continuity of any slasher series? Child's Play 1 through 3, yes. When they started doing, like, Bride of Chucky and the Necklace and everything, and then... One child's play one through three, yes. Bride of Chucky on, yes. But the mix in between, no. You know, I no. The the medallion of yeah. uh, Dimbalu or whatever whatever it's called. Um, I can almost forgive that because he could have been wearing it under his shirt. I mean, yeah, you know what again, I mean, but like, still. <laughs> I will say, Child's Play 1 through 3. Dimbala, that's what it's called. Dimbala. I do a Dimbala argument, yeah. Uh, I used to know the whole thing, but I'm way too fucking old to remember that now. <laughs> but back when I was a kid, I fucking was so proud. I mean, continuity back in those Better days, than most. I well, mean, that's still... Yeah, but continuity back in those days was not as important because... 
Going into the 90s, VHS rentals were becoming more prevalent, so you had access to former films a lot more readily than you would, say, at the beginning of the 80s, where you'd be lucky to see a replay of a film on, like, ABC Saturday Night, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, it was a, you would see a movie maybe once or twice in the theater, and then you would have to wait five or six years before it ever ended up on TV, and then it you know what I mean? It was absolutely. It wasn't the the prevailing thing of having this streamlined continuity. Each movie had to be able to be enjoyed in and of itself. And if you had to know something from the other ones, they'd throw in a recap at the oh, beginning. Friday Thirteenth, I think, is the the best the, example of yes. that, where you have a basically a mini movie of the previous movie at the beginning of those early oh, yeah. early films. But the Child's Play continuity, I think, is is pretty straightforward, and it does some interesting things later on, and kind of tying back, especially in Cult, we just... Oh yeah, Cult kind of really kicks it up. Fill, he fills in a lot of the, the backstory, which uh, by that point, I mean, you kind of where do you go with it? You've got to bring in other uh, aspects of the film to really dive home like, why you love the thing in the first place. If you're going to continue on with sequels. Absolutely. Um, for better or for worse, um the movie has evolved and ended up with what we got. But one of the interesting aspects of Child's Play is that it was conceived as a very different story. Now, we touched on it a little bit uh, earlier, but let's dive a little bit deeper now. Whether you called it, you know, Batteries Not Included, Blood Brothers, or Bloody Buddy, it was intended to be more of a satire of the toy-obsessed post-Reagan deregulation of advertising towards children era. The doll, which was originally called Buddy, would have had more of a repressed rage aspect of Andy underlying tone, and it would have sort of targeted his enemies. And Mancini's original script would have been a whodunit story, um, written so more so with the audience, if it being ambiguous whether or not Andy or Chucky is the killer. Is this doll actually alive? Is Andy killing people? But using the doll as an excuse, is he crazy? Does he know what he's doing? You know, I that, that's an interesting thing. So you you've kind of made your point clear that you are happy with the movie that we got. Um, but for me, when they announced the remake, um, before that we knew it was going to be an AI, um, and you know, not a redo of the whole voodoo angle. I thought it would be interesting to kind of take this idea, rewrite it for a more modern audience, and pitch that as what we got for the Child's Play remake. Because I think the idea of a evil kid, it's been a, a purveying thing through the entirety of horror on film. Oh, yeah. And you get a really good creepy kid, one that has, you know, sympathetic doe eyes, and you can... Uh, feel for them, but then slowly learn their evil. I don't know. There, there's something to be said for the more ambiguous aspect of it. Than it's a solid premise. And I agree. I With the remake, I kind of wanted that too. Uh, I thought, oh, they're going to maybe use his original idea, but with the whole separation of Don Mancini to the Child's Play brand versus Chucky brand and all that. And again, the remake's kind of doing what Chucky did for Toys in the 80s and all that. You know, this is like gadgets and shit and nowadays. Kids don't play with toys anymore. Everything is tablets and phones. And, and they kind of, it's, it's a, it's a, what's a fuck those little, uh, 
the boxes from Amazon to the you talk to. Um, oh Siri, yeah. uh, Siri, it's not Siri. That's uh, Apple. Well, you know what I mean. Alexa, it, Alexa it's Alexa. a walking, talking, killing Alexa, and I like that idea. And and it's honestly very funny. Mark Hamill was a great. Well, Mark Hamill is the only th- reason. If that, I don't know if the movie made money. Made it probably. I, I Mark Hamill doing the voice of the new Chucky was the only great thing about the movie. It had nice bloody kills. I like the premise. I'm not saying it was better. Hey, uh, his... It's no Evil Dead remake, which is not really uh... a remake. It's a sequel. I've proven it definitively to Brandon. I don't, I, it, it is a sequel. But it needs to have a fucking different title. You know what? <laughs> you know, old man Lane, <laughs> this is the 21st century. Move on. Uh, you were just saying that you wanted to see everything through the 1980s, and God damn it, I do too. It's true. <laughs> Okay, so um, we've kind of covered um, the positives and the negatives of what would have been and what is. One of the m- many major changes to Don Mancini's original concept and script was the inclusion of voodoo as a means to explain the doll and it how it could come to life uh, convincingly without being too outlandish, uh, more grounded in reality. This change didn't come from Mancini, but it came from its director. The director being the great Tom Holland, not to be confused with Tom Holland who plays Spider-Man these days. Old man Tom Holland. Old man Holland. Um, You probably know him from Fright Night and Fight Me, the best, the best vampire movie of the 1980s. I don't care what anybody says. I know everybody loves The Lost Boys and so do I. R.I.P. Joel Schumacher, one of the better movies you made, but... Fright Night is a better vampire movie. Lost Boys is a better movie, movie probably in general. You know, phrase like that, I'm not going to argue. Phrase like that, I can't. I want to, but you're right. I, I'm always right. Except and, about and, Evil Dead. I'm always right on this podcast. Don't defy me. You can get the fuck out of my house. I'm bigger than you. <laughs> he also uh, directed Stephen King's Thinner, which um, I like it is, it's fine. It's got Robert John Burke, who was uh, Robocop in Robocop 3 yeah. and the TV series. Um, he's fine. He's good in the role. Um, I like I like the, the like end the of that movie yeah. with the uh, Oh, the it just had some pie. Yeah. Uh, he also did The Langoliers, uh, So Bad It's My Good. My favorite Bronson Pinchot <laughs> acting role ever. Little girl! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's some terrible stuff. Isn't he? Isn't Tom Holland even in that? Isn't he one of the uh, people on the plane? Uh, I, I don't want, know. I want to say he is. It's been a long time since I've seen it. In fact, um, other than, like I think, the Nostalgia Critic review, the only time I ever saw this was when it debuted on television. I bought it on VHS when my uh, dad's boss's video store went out of business. So I'd watch it every now and then, like back in the day. <sighs> Man, Stephen King adaptations have come a long way. Um, we love you, Tom Holland, and it's not your fault that movie had no budget. The CGI, no early, budget. early CGI. Um, he also directed three episodes of Tales from the Crypt. Uh, he directed Love Come Hack to Me, which stars Amanda Plummer, who was in Free Jack, Renee Russo, who was in The Adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle, Robert De Niro, who was in Mad Dog and Glory, with Bill Murray, who was in Ghostbusters, you just got busted. Also, he directed Four-Sided Triangle, which stars Patricia Arquette, and I know you're a very, uh, p- uh fan of I this. I love uh, you, Patricia. 
um, uh, this episode. Uh, I know you're a big fan of this specific episode uh, of like that's my man. Yeah. But she was in Ed Wood with Bill Murray, who was in Ghostbusters. You just got busted again. He's having to dig deep for these, <laughs> but you got busted because I got him on that last episode. But I have a motif here. Oh. He also directed King of the Road from Tales of the Crypt, which starred Brad Pitt, who was in Ocean's Eleven with George Clooney, who was in Monuments Men with Bill Murray, who was in Ghostbusters. You just got busted three times. I intentionally connected all those to Bill Murray because the first one did, just to prove a point that I cannot be beat. You will always be busted. I still got him the other time with the Sigourney Weaver connection. I, I had that, and you just beat me to the fucking punch. Yeah, button in the script. Don't lie. <laughs> you wanted the Brian Doyle Murray. I did because it was a direct connection. It's a connection. direct connection. They shared a womb and seed. <laughs> I wish I that's did. That's the most busted you can I want. I, I don't know if Bill Murray's mother's still alive, but that's that's my final Probably destination. Not. That's where I want my ashes to be put when I'm dead. Grave. I want to be rebirthed through the womb of Murray. <laughs> so, um, most horror f- uh, fans think Tom Hall. They think of Tom Holland mainly as a director. Um, he only has nineteen directing credits to his name. Um, as far as sheer activity, he's actually more of an actor, um, with roles going all the way back to nineteen fifty eight. Uh, most notably, appearing in fifty episodes of the uh, episodes of the nineteen sixty five soap opera A Flame in the Wind. I have never heard of it. Never, um, but it was you go, good enough 19. to last at least fifty episodes. Um, he has several cameos in many, uh, many genre films, like even up to today. Uh, that being said, Tom has made waves in other key areas of the film industry, and that is of a writer. Uh, he did The Beast Within, which is one of the, the first movies I can remember seeing that really freaked me out with the special effects. Um, I'm trying to think. I, it's, it's sort of a werewolf movie, but not really. Um, it's, I may have seen it, I may not have. Um Class of 1984. Oh, hell yeah. Great stuff. Um, even like the sequel, Class of 1999, Class of 1999 Part 2, which has uh, the guy who played Cody from yeah. Step by Step. Um, Cloak and Dagger, Dabney Coleman, fun uh, you know, movie from the from the 80s. Obviously, Fright Night. We, we love Fright Night. We love Fright Night. And he wrote Psycho 2. <sighs> Psycho 2, yeah. on paper, should have been... Fucking awful. And even there was a book by written by the original author. The but book by the original author is a totally different guy. Oh, they, they, killing. yeah, they, but they kill off, uh, yeah, they kill him off uh, immediately. Immediately. So, like, another dude that's doing the killing. And it's almost he, like he wrote that book out of spite because of the popularity got, yeah, of the movie. He really probably did. Um, but, um, I watched Psycho 2 not long ago with director's commentary. Uh, I've got the Screen Factory editions right behind you, actually, of, uh, all of 2, 3, and 4, and, uh, Psycho 2 is... Psycho 2 is amazing. It's one of the best horror sequels I, ever. Top top three, at least. If not, the best. Like, especially, you're you're trying to make a sequel of a groundbreaking Alfred fucking Hitchcock movie. Yeah, I mean, do like, it, several... And knock it out solid. Several years after the fact. A couple decades, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, well... It was Late like, 80s and 60s. Yeah, 1960, and then that would have been, like... I'll say like eighty six, maybe. Um, yeah. Still, I mean, come on, that's that's, that's a, fucking amazing. That's yeah. a long time to go without a sequel, but it it really it it really shows how good Tom Holland could be, and I think a lot of the positives that you can't credit to 
Don Mancini. Or definitely Tom Holland. Or definitely Absolutely. come from Tom Holland. His credentials as a writer are are incredibly important to the story of Child's Play, both in terms of the film's narrative, but also in him being credited as a writer at all. So, here here's the thing. John Lafia, who recently passed away, and Don Mancini, they wrote the script. But through being having the director's share, Tom Holland implemented a lot of his ideas into the script. So much so that there was a lawsuit of, you know, who should get writing credit for what, and we're not going to dive too much into that, just because I don't know the details, but it's it's interesting in, in how much a movie can evolve from the page till we actually yeah. get it into production. Um, how much do you value the, the, the sort of the scope and the vision of a director as opposed to the writer? Um, I guess the, probably the best example of this would be someone like, uh, like, like a David Lynch or um, uh, Stanley Kubrick who took things that were great and, and made the, and elevated them in ways that maybe the original yeah. Intent, intent or not, intent, yeah. you know, what do you think about that? I mean, at the end of the day, film being the, it's it's not just the written word, it's the visual, it's, it's tone, it's music, it's everything. I think, to a point, I mean, if you're just going to shoot the script like Jack Shoulder shot Nightmare on Elm Street 2, that was his job, shoot the script. Do your own thing, make it dark, make it scary. That was his only thing. But, I mean, if you want to be like a Tom Holland, a, a Stanley Kubrick, and make it your film, then you should have the authority to do so. Doing that behind the back or despite the writer is a shitty thing to do. But, uh, again, at the end of the day, nobody's like... You know, it, it, it's... The it, director over writer, I have to say, in film. It, it ended up so much, this was such a controversy, that um, Don Mancini and John Lafayette were, were barred from the set because they were trying to interfere so much because they disagreed with the direction that... I can understand their frustration, 100%. Okay, have you ever seen the movie uh, For Your Consideration? It's a, a Christopher Guest film. No. Okay, well, it's, it's about the making of a movie that has Oscar buzz about it. And uh, Michael McKeon and Bob Balaban are the writers, and they're watching from, you know, watching on the monitor this director played by Christopher Guest just, like, butcher their work. And they're they're going to, like, hey, the PA, like, please go talk, tell them, like, hey, you're you're not doing what, what's, what we wrote, or this is our, from our hearts, this is our soul, we we put everything on the line to get this movie made and you're deviating from it. So I, in my head, after realizing this, that was the first thing that popped in my mind and it's sort of comical. But if you put this into real terms, like that's probably crippling to oh, like yeah. to, to get a break because I mean, as we talked about, Don Mancini doesn't have a lot other than Channel Zero <sighs> and Han- Hannibal other than Child's Play. This is something it birthed him. He might as well have given birth to the child's play entity and to have it deviated from was probably really frustrating. Well, you know, I mean, it's caused people to kill themselves. Like the guy that broke Caddyshack in, in the, in the national lampoon that killed himself because it was changed so much because they fucked up his vision so bad and just left most of the material from the seasoned comedians 
and change his story so much from what he want that he probably killed himself over it. Doug, Doug Kenny, was that his Doug name? Doug Kenny, I think. Um, this is a great movie about that, by the way. Uh, Stupid Feudal Gesture yeah. on Netflix. I fucking loved yeah, it. Yeah, that's good stuff. But, uh, you know, I get the, I mean, but at the end of the day, can you tell me Tom Holland was wrong? I think even today, Don Mancini has probably cooled down and realized that a lot of the changes were for the best. Hey, I'll make another case in point. Back in the in the seventies, if George Lucas had got the Star Wars he wanted, without outside interference and suggestions and and things, it would have sucked. That movie was made in the editing bay, so. I love you, George Lucas, but that movie was saved in editing. I think you're okay, George Lucas. Whatever. Um, <laughs> we, we share a birthday. I love Donald. I love Howard the Duck. We're actually going to talk. We'll talk about a little bit about better Howard than the Duck. Star Wars. No, I'm just playing. I will slap you. I will slap you. No, we're we're not going to dwell on the controversy anymore. Um, there is one major thing that we have to talk about that was deviated from the original script, and that's the addition of voodoo, and that is entirely credited to Holland. So, this is why I think the original Child's Play will is impossible to improve upon with the whole AI aspect of the remake. So, Voodoo, albeit a magical concept, and I know there are people there that believe voodoo, but let's just be real, it's bullshit! <laughs> voodoo gives you an out to, Absolutely. Be, to be able to explain everything it's in a, a nice, tight bow, one snap of the finger, and you, you've, you've set up your status quo, and you have this one thing that allows you to deviate from them. Whereas in the remake, you have AI, which, to be fair, we're moving in that direction. And I just don't... <coughs> the thing that bothered me about it is that you have a movie that is set in basically our time about a lower-income family that, I mean, she does get it through. Yeah. Uh, not, but, but, but still, it's still priced at the point that your average-income family could purchase this super robot that can walk around on its own and can mimic and can tr control all these things. And yeah, it was deviated, but I had a harder time believing that, that than I did with the voodoo. Here's the thing. The well, child's play remake. If it had not been Chucky, I would probably be singing the praises of, uh, in of itself, especially if it had been kind of told more as a tales from the crypt kind of viewpoint. And I think it would have worked a little better if it had been a, like a an episode, like an hour, 30 minute. Chucky was the framework to bring new fans who kind of familiar with it, but probably kids too young to really have bothered watching them with any serious consideration into them and lay a framework for a whole new story. And, and, that, and I get that. And I'm not knocking them for doing and what they the did. And there was the one guy that killed himself and, and like put off the regulators. That, so, that, I mean, they, they gave themselves an out. They, they did. They did. Um, I just, I wish it had taken place a little bit into the future. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I agree and, with that completely. And I wish that he had been Buddy rather than Chucky. Exactly. If, they, if they had changed those two things, I would, I would give you that. I would give I'll, it a four out of five. It was, if it was Buddy, that that's a good point. But it was I'm I don't have a natural hate for remakes that a lot of people do, 
Uh, I, hate, I, watched, I hate needless remakes. Yeah, I mean, Child's Play, for whatever you say, is not needless. They changed the story completely. Uh, the Evil Dead sequel slash soft remake. Changes <laughs> You've already the story negated completely. your argument. It's not a remake, according to you. It's a requel. <laughs> a requel. Uh, like all, like the in the fine tradition of the Evil Dead movies, they're all kind of a sequel remake. Yeah, that's, ne- that's, that's true. So, but, um, you're, it's still going to take a hell of a lot to get me to watch it. I'm going to punch him one day, <laughs> just straight up. On the podcast, on mine. Um, it's pretty much uh, it's inevitability that Don Mancini hated the voodoo angle, um, and he would hate it, and he has continued to hate it um, until he decided that he can make money with it, and yeah. he, he's made he's, a career out. He's of made it. a career out of it, so good for him. And I hope, and I don't know this, but I, I hope he and Tom Holland of you know Smooth let bygones yeah. be bygones because I mean they're they're Tom Holland is an older guy and. You know, and come on, if Don Mancini has been able to make any living for himself, Tom Holland is at least partially absolutely. I'm going to say forty percent him. Um, Tom Holland was not the first choice to direct this. In fact, he was probably about fourth on the list. You know, of when they went down and offered this, so I found this to be mind blowing. I'm excited. The first person they offered the opportunity to direct The Exorcist. You have any idea? Wes Craven. I just gave you. I just gave it away. I oh. said The Exorcist. Oh, William Peter Blatty. No, that's oh. the writer. Oh. William oh. Friedkin. Oh, Her- uh, Hurricane, Hurricane Billy. Bill. Hurricane Billy. Um, no, God no. There's a part of me that thinks that they had done the original script. Oh yeah, they yeah, totally script, script to screen. With him, Billy Freakin I don't know awesome. about 1988, but if this had been made in like the late 70s with the original idea with William there Freakin... There would have been some poor traumatized kid out there. Yeah. Like, I should have never worked that movie. I hate my parents. Yeah, they they probably would have had broken, uh, broken clavicles and, and all sorts of uh, <laughs> mental scars that uh, would uh, still be permeating today. They've been doing uh, poop porn. Yeah, and all poop kinds porn. Of- <laughs> Hashtag Patricia Arquette Hashtag. poop porn. No one gets that reference. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's this it's such a deep cut that only Brandon and I will ever get it. It's been excised from the internet <laughs> for probably for good good reasons. I um so as it stands, the script that we ended up with. Um, do you think William Freakin could have done a better job than Tom Holland? No, because no, he, he he he's very self serious. It seems that Tom Holland in his movies, you know, he, there is a playful, even in the review, it's playful. Even though the first one is way fucking scary in any of the sequels, it's still playful. Like, the fuck you bitch in the elevator. That's still like one I of my lot favorite to, I have a lot to say about that but later on. <laughs> Will, William Friedkin is too self-serious. Um, yeah, and by 88, the, the hump of strictly serious slasher films it's, it's over. It, you it, couldn't do it yeah it had become kind of passe so injecting this movie with uh, grounding enough in reality and scares but still having moments of levity kind of gave it i think a life that it probably wouldn't have and a broader like, mass appeal you know? yeah you're right you're right um one of the alterations that didn't make it into the movie that Tom wanted was Charles Lee Ray was going to be Andy's father. 
obviously this didn't end up in the movie. Um, but the, the mystery of Andy's father has sort of persisted because Chucky seemingly has knowledge about Andy's father that shouldn't he shouldn't be aware of. Uh, the reason I bring this up is because in most of the rooms in Andy's apartment, uh, there's pictures of Tom Holland, oddly enough, <laughs> um, as sort of a stand-in for Andy's father. Uh, our mutual friend, um, Matt Underwood. No. And, and uh, this is one of the, the bones of contention that he and I have had for years, even though after I pointed out in the commentary that Tom Holland takes credit for this, he swears up and down it's pictures of Jethro Bodine <laughs> from the Beverly Hillbillies. And if you look at it, oh my God, he looks just like Jethro Bodine. I, I, I can kind of see it. But it's not. It's it's pictures of Tom Holland. Um, now, according to the shooting script, Andy's father it was called Bob. And he was killed in a car wreck a few months before the events of the film. Uh, because of this being eliminated from the film, there's a ton of people who have tried to link Chucky as Andy's father or as the, the murderer of Bob, which, and I don't know why that would be, but there's definitely no direct link there. But people have tried to connect things because you... You want connections. You want connections. You want mythos. Yeah, to well, I mean, the, the Laurie-Michael connection, uh, nancy uh, Freddy. You want those kind of deeper connections. And Andy is eternally linked to Chucky, but, you know, if he killed his father, I mean, that adds a layer I to I like it. the scary serial killer, like... Chucky, Charles Lee Ray was a force that entered his life after this and then tainted the rest of his life instead of like, oh, before you knew I was connected, I was connected. That's enough just that he fucks his whole life up. So th there is this deleted scene that, that sort of has Chucky uh, being carried around by Andy and he's taking him to all these different things and he kind of tells him, like, this is my daddy and he died and I'm sad. And so it kind of explains a way... At least the whole Chucky being his father. He's not, he's not he's his not. father. Let it go, people. But do you think it would make the movie better if he was? No. I just said <laughs> I like the outside element of a of a dark force personified this state case in Charles Lee Ray or any serial killer coming into normal people's lives. To fuck it up, rather than there has to be some connection. The movie as it is, I agree with you. How about... But if you go back to the original version of this... Go back to the original script, yeah. Him using, like, the, like, sort of being the neuroses of, like, his father speaking to him beyond the grave. I mean, probably not actually, but the neuroses yeah, of it. I could see that, but you know, just hey, as what we got, no, it doesn't need. Yeah, so, um... So not all of Tom Holland's ideas were you no. know, golden golden goose eggs. Um, one final thing about Tom Holland, and we'll move on. Um, he has a strange cameo in Child's Play as the voice of the good guy doll mascot in the live action sequences that Andy that. is watching in the television. And so, as a kid, um, Child's Play terrified me in, in ways that I, I can't even, you know, verbalize. As an adult... The scariest thing in this movie is that fucking giant <laughs> yeah. Chucky mascot. Yeah. So my my question to you, is this the scariest thing in the movie as for you as an adult? I'll still <laughs> give it to the mom scene with the batteries and all that, but it's a close second. Um yeah, watching that back, um that, to me that that would that's the type of thing that like this 
you go to a theme park and that that Chucky mascot is going to diddle your kid. What? <laughs> Absolutely, they all are. They're all horrible pedophiles. <laughs> Uh, the, the only thing scarier than that, and the thought of my child enjoying that, if I walked in on any kid of mine watching some kind of creepy show with a giant-headed pedophile and loving it like Andy loves it, that to me is scarier than the existence of the mascot itself. Yeah, like, fair, fair enough. Something's enough. wrong with my kid, I gotta, I gotta throw it away. Yeah. That's what orphanages are for. <laughs> <laughs> Fair, fair enough. Who children um don't like weird shit and uh, you can like a little bit of weird shit, but let's good keep weird it shit, but not no no giant uh, redheaded dolls that uh will haunt the pedophile mascots. <laughs> uh, Don Mancini and Tom Holland's contributions to Child's Play are immeasurable, but to the general populace, Child's Play success can be attributed to the 1980s final slasher icon. Let's just give it up for what the movie's all about. It's Chucky the Killer Doll. Fuck yeah. Chucky is who, the shit. Who is voiced by the wonderful Brad Dourif. Amazing playing, Brad Dourif. Uh, pulling uh, double duty as Charles E. Ray and Chucky the Killer Doll. Um, his movie, IMDb, kind of starts off as like, you know, A-list actor. And unfortunately... Like Clockwork Orange. Or, uh, not a Clockwork Orange. Uh, One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest. And... Uh, Islar Mar- Mars. He was in uh, Dave Lynch's Dune. He's also in Blue Velvet. He plays one of... Um, Frank's uh, Goons. Uh, Frank, uh, Frank's Goons, yeah. I'll fuck anything that moves! <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was in Exorcist 3, which I think may be my That's... favorite performance of Oh, acting-wise, yeah. He's, he's so good in that. Uh, he was in Stephen King's Graveyard Shift. He's in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, albeit some of the movies. He's only in the extended cuts. Yeah. Um, Worm Tongue. Uh, if you're if you're a diehard fan, it's probably the versions you have anyways. Uh, 36 episodes of Deadwood, which is absolutely... Amazing. Did you see the? Did you see the movie? Oh, yeah. Fuck uh, yeah. Great, great stuff. I got Sarah into watching that shit because I knew the movie was coming out. I'm like, hey, let's watch the show. Maybe you'll like it. Yeah. She fucking powered through it. Yeah, Fat Fuck Scott had never seen it, and I finally convinced him to watch it because he's like, I don't like modern cowboys and Shut stuff. Your and mouth. Blah, blah, blah. Fat Fuck Scott's like, no, like 90% wrong all the time. Yeah, it's probably. five uh, and, and 5% of that is uh, chance. Complete chance. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So only 5% We love you, take. Scott. We love I you. I love you, buddy. All right. Uh, he was in uh, Rob Zombie's Halloween and Halloween 2. Polarizing films, but he's great in both of them. The scene, and I know exactly what you're yeah. going to say, the scene in, in how Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 where he breaks down over finding Annie dead. It's best that's, act, yeah. Oh, my God. And the director's cut of that with the flashbacks of childhood. That, that's exploitative. It that, fucking takes your breath away, man. Yeah, that's that's awful because that, that is a blend of fucking real life because we love <laughs> Daniel Harris. We love you, Daniel Harris. Um, but all of the accomplishments of the movies that we love, he was nominated for an Academy Award for his role of Billy Babbitt in One Flew Over the Cougar's Nest. It's one of my all-time favorite films. Good movie. By the way, did you know that uh, Danny DeVito's in that movie? Yeah. And Danny DeVito was in a little <laughs> movie called Twins, Red Five a Rabbit, who directed Ghostbusters. You just got busted four times. I just got busted four times. And just as a brief side note, One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest is one of the rare exceptions where the movie's better than the book. I've actually never read the movie. Uh, I mean, it's the a book. good book, but it's a great movie. Um, uh, I'm kind of wishy-washy on Mila Schwarman, that's who directed it, I, I yeah. believe. Because he's done some things I absolutely hate. He did a music video in like the late 90s or early 2000s. Really? And, yeah, and it was like, 
I mean, it was like a spoken word music video. It was, oh. it was always on MTV, and I wanted to throw my fucking remote through the TV when that shit came on. I didn't hardly you, ever you watch pro- music on MTV unless it was Headbangers Ball. Then when they canceled that, like, yeah. eh, booze and butthead, and that's all I watched. Patri- you, fuck you, Milish Foreman. You made a great movie, but everything you made is Not shit. everything else. I'm sure that I think there's another movie. It's, kind of, it's kind of a 70-30 kind of thing. Um, despite having mainstream critical and commercial success in motion pictures, he's the general populace is going to know him as the voice of Chucky the Killer Doll, all seven of the original films, and he's going to be reprising his role in the upcoming sci-fi television series. We just got yeah. the uh, the promo. I can't wait. Um, it, it better build directly off cult, or I will not watch it. From what I understand, it's going to soft reboot some of the things, and it's going to elaborate somewhat on the origins of Charles Lee Ray. So, I don't know if that is a an issue with rights, or if it's a creative decision, but... I, we'll, I'm we'll willing see. To give I'm going to give it a try. I say I won't chance. watch it, but that's a fucking lie. Um... Despite um, Brad's unparalleled credential, credentials, I mean, both as a character actor, but also as the voice of actor of so many things beyond Chucky, he wasn't even the first choice to play the role. Surprisingly, I mean, you have you, Gilbert you know, Godfrey. <laughs> I, I, I'd watch that movie, I would. but I mean, like you, you would think like, oh, this Academy Award winning uh, actor would not be on the short list. Um, but uh, Jessica Walters was actually cast in the role. Now, Jessica Walters, for those of you who are not aware, she plays the crazy bitch and play Misty for me, the oh, Clint Eastwood movie. Yeah, and very soft spoken, very I still childlike. Haven't seen that either. What? The audience, people. You're oh. like, for those who might not be familiar, go watch oh. Play Misty for I thought, me. Uh, you you scared me for a second. Like, how the fuck have no, you not I've seen, seen it? I've seen that. Okay. Fuck it. I'm just saying to our okay. view, listening audience I, in general. Dude, I, I, I'm i not even exaggerating. I saw my, his my, face. My heart, I thought he was going to do CPR. My heart jumped out of my out of my chest. I was like, fuck it. After this, we're, we're going to watch it on Laserdisc. <laughs> top five Clint Eastwood movies of all time. It's so good. It's actually the first movie he directed, by the way. Yes. But, but she lended her voice to this. And it just wasn't what they were looking for because they were scared that it was going to come across as corny. So, in the remake, Mark Hamill does something sort of akin to this. And I like that he didn't go with the traditional, you know, Chucky voice. It was more playful because it separated it from this. Um, That being said, does the film work... With her in the role, no, I, I, I agree. I there's no discussion. It. It's yeah, there's no discussion. It's Brad Dorf. I I can't even imagine like even like her doing the voice of like you know when it gets to the scene with uh with the, the mother and like, like you bitch and all that like it doesn't <coughs> it just doesn't work. It falls you, flat. Yeah, and the intensity in Brad Dorf's voice in anything he's in, well he's pretty laid back in one flow of the cuckoo's nest, but like. Just the, he's got an intensity to his voice that is irreplaceable. The the aspect of going back to One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest that is inherently important to this movie is he's doing a Jack Nicholson impression. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's it's not even like, like it's un- hidden or you know trying to cover it up, but. 
Chucky's voice is so one to one with the character that if they were ever to recast him in like in an official Don Mancini movie, like it, yeah, I don't think I could. Impossible. I don't think I would be. Even if it was somebody Even doing a really good, good, yeah, good impression, there would be like something to trip you up. It's his timing, it's his uh, inflection, the just the, the furiousness. The guy does zero to sixty, um, pissed instantly. off better than anybody. Um, Jessica Walters, uh, very talented, but not suited for the role. Uh, her loss is definitely our gain, um, but it does beg the question. Why would such a highly regarded actor take a role in yeah, child's I'm play? I'm curious to find out myself. So, Brad Dourif had this to say. When I take a role, the criteria is feeding my family. Oh. That comes first. I have to work with what is available. Like everybody else, there's nothing wrong with horror films. Their existence has definitely had an impact on me. It's important to have scary demons in our world and on film. We have them in the world. That is why we are afraid. It's nice to have a visual and have confirmation with it. The fact that he took this as a paycheck, a paycheck and still has stuck with it all this time, it, it, it's sort of like this could have just been... I'll do whatever, one and done. But he's he's obviously found something about this that has inspired him to want to do it continually. Because I can't imagine that like the payoff he's getting. His daughter's doing it now. Yeah. I mean, he. I'd say it was a paycheck to begin with. I'd say somewhere, but in the in the recording of the second one, he just found the fun in it and just went on with, especially given the freedom and just insanity of the Chucky iteration like Bride of Chucky yeah. yeah all those well she would have been like a teenager at that yeah. point so like like he just rolled with it and I love that and it's made him a horror, a horror icon like my, one of my favorite commentaries of all time is the in character Chucky commentaries yes. on the kills of the Child's Play DVD I fucking love it it's good it's great stuff and thank you, Brad Dewar, for not looking down on, on horror movies. Um, a little side story, uh, going back to Fiona, and I don't know if it was this movie, but it was. It would have been like the the earlier films. Um, he, he showed up to the recording studio, and he brought her with him, and she's a little girl. And, you know, she's playing off to the side, and he's, like, screaming, like, you stupid bitch, and, and all this stuff. And then, like, they lock eyes, and she's just, like, mortified. <laughs> like, why are you saying these horrible things, Daddy? But it's just, it's funny that, like, it's become this family affair. And and to me, that's sort of, like, one aspect of the movie that we really didn't touch on with Don Mancini is that he's kept all these people in the loop. And I know uh, Alex Vincent, who we'll talk about a little later, kind of left the series, but now he's back in the fold, and... You have Jennifer Tilly and and Brad Dourif and Fiona Dourif and and they're all sort of He's kept together. Family. They're they're yeah. like a family. So I that's that's just really cool. Uh, you know, here we are, thirty two years after the fact, and you're getting a Chucky TV show with the original writer and the voice. His longevity has pretty much outlasted all the other franchises for current new content. That's that's true. Not the most. Appearances, Not the most but, appearances, but over but... the longest period of time. Oh, yeah, um, Chucky's role is limited in the first film, but fucking effective. It's super effective. The purposes of the the more darker and grounded tone, I think it benefits the movie. But that doesn't mean Brad doesn't get to flex his acting muscle 
So to highlight his acting prowess, I think now is as good a time as any for us to flex our acting muscles with another edition of a Rance recreation. So I'm going to be playing the role of Mrs. Barclay, and I'm also get, be giving the uh, stage directions, and um, the esteemed Fat Tony will be <laughs> playing Chucky the Killer doll. Yay! <clears throat> Mrs. Barclay stares at the previously unopened packaging of the good guy doll. He wants you as a best friend? Yeah, sure. Suddenly, a pack of unopened D-cell batteries fall from the package to the ground. Dumbfounded, Mrs. Barclay feverishly scans the packaging, only to be gobsmacked with the revelation of large red letters spanning the package with the phrase, Batteries Not Included. It should say Batteries Included, because that's what's on the package. Oh. Uh, continue. All right, whatever. I wrote this when I was <laughs> drunk. <laughs> In shock, Mrs. Barclay drops the, the box and slowly approaches the seemingly harmless doll to inspect its batteries compartment. Confirmation of Chucky's autonomousness strikes as his head whips backwards. Hi, I'm Chucky. Want to play? Stunned, Miss Barkley drops the doll to the ground and it rolls under the couch. Mrs. Barkley falls to her knees and inspects beneath the sofa. Her hand slowly probes the motionless doll and pulls it from under its place of dwelling placing it upright on the edge of the seat. Talk to me! Come on, talk! I said talk to me, damn it! All right, then. I'm going to make you talk. Mrs. Barclay storms to the fireplace and removes its metal covering. She reaches into a small pot, retrieving a matchstick, proceeds to turn on the gas, and strikes the match, which ignites the fireplace. I said talk to me, damn it, or else I'm going to throw you into the fire, Mrs. Barclay. Ultimatum forces Chucky to reveal himself. You stupid bitch, you filthy slut, I'll teach you to fuck with me! Struggle ensues with Chucky gaining an upper hand by biting Mrs. Barkley, allowing him the time to escape and return to the pursuing Andy and scene. Yeah, That's you were, it. You were right about me uh, putting uh, the batteries on included, and it should have been said batteries included. Yes. Um, I was drunk when I wrote this. As you always should be. <laughs> You're at this sober, it's going to come out uh, shitty. No, uh, th that whole scene works because... That yeah. scene fucked my childhood completely up. I mean, like, almost wetting my pants... The tension, the music, the building, the whip around, the hi, I'm Chucky, and then just the frenzy. It's so it's so well paced because there's just enough beats in between the action to make you think, well, nothing's gonna happen. Then when it does, snap. Oh God, yeah. That's just that's that's so much so much credit to to Tom Holland and knowing how to shoot this in a way where it didn't look hokey, because this very yes. easily could have been very hokey, especially you know if it had just been a, a puppet with a head turning around yeah. and, and all that. But when Chucky comes alive, man, he, he comes it, alive. it's like a real fucking thing. Um, here we are 30-plus years later, and, and we know Chucky is a character you know, being kind of a funny, wise-ass, but the first film doesn't overdo it. Actually, the, the funniest line, in my opinion, comes towards the end of the film when uh, he's followed Andy back to his apartment and he's riding the cage elevator with the elderly couple. And, yeah. and she's like, oh, we're an ugly doll. And he's like, fuck you. That is that, the, that's that, his funny moment of that movie. 
And you need that funny moment. To relieve, you got to relieve tension. You can't constantly build tension or it just dies. Yeah, you, you have that moment and you get a little bit of a breather, but then you have the, the climax of the movie and Andy is just terrorized from there on out. But that line right there is funny, but everything he says right here, as an no. adult, I find funny. But as a child, it's oh terrible. The frenzy. God. That was rip, that was rip your eyelids off because you were afraid to go to sleep. Scary. Fuck yeah. Absolutely 100%. So um, my question to you is, uh, do you think having Chucky be a little less funny in this movie benefits it, like, overall? Oh yeah, absolutely. You all, If you're going to start a horror movie franchise, whether there's humor inherent or not, you got to bring it with the scares in the first one. You know, Nightmare on Elm Street, debatably Friday the 13th. Well, they held off kind of on the comedy until the sixth They held off the comedy until the sixth, but that, that was their fault, I think, because they held off too long. But four is near perfect, so I'll shut up. Um, yeah, I... Do you think the movie would have... I think it would have worked being a little more comedic, but do you think... Here we are, thirty years later. Do you think we still will be talking it about it the same way? It wouldn't have traumatized me as bad. Well, I agree. There would it would, have been it a definitely release. wouldn't have fucked with me. It the wouldn't way have it fucked did. with me. I think. I think the scariness of the first one helped it. And you know, they again slowly added grains of humor and you know tension release until like you get to Bride of Chucky when they realize we're not scary at all. Fuck it, let's just do different genre films through the lens of Chucky. Yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah, Chucky is a unique character among all the other slasher uh, contemporaries um, because he has a full-fledged character arc over the course of his film. Absolutely. And you know that's I can't say that about anybody. Really any of the other ones, you know, whatever character growth you get is almost accidental. Yeah, the <laughs> one thing that he does share in common like with very few other horror icons is he does have a personality. He's not he's He's of the personality, funny, talk to you, quality kills rather than the high body count, silent killers. Yeah, like but, Jason and but, Michael. But, but, but even, his story arc, no, Freddie doesn't. Freddie, Freddie's the perfect example. Yeah. I guess the one you could say is is they have the most in common. And I want the the leprechaun. You could make that argument just because he's leprechaun short and, is and scary to kids. Separate. He but is a second tier horror icon. But he was intended as comedic from the get. Oh yeah. The thing about the the parallels with he and Freddy is that they both start off with personality, and they progressively become more wise ass and funny. The difference is like Freddy's character doesn't really progress in a in a, a character arc sense. Where it just wants Chucky, to kill and be evil. Chucky does. So let's kind of break that down. Um, he spends the first three movies trying to get. Well, in the, the third one, he wants revenge of Andy, but he's got a new body, so he's trying to get the other boy. But he, Andy is the central figure in the first three films. Yeah, but but his his goal is to get a human body. a human body. Um, Bride of Chucky, you know, gives him a love interest, and there's you know fun to be mm, had. Jennifer Titty, I mean Tilly. Yeah, um, <laughs> love you. <clears throat> bound. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, one of the first DVDs I ever bought, and my parents were not aware of it, and that's why my door was locked a lot. Just, just for for reference, my mom won't listen to this. Um, see the Chucky, he becomes a parent. So you have the the conflict of you know like them trying, try, like oh we won't kill, we'll be a family, and like ah fuck it, let's do it. And that's when he ultimately embraces his yeah, body of Chucky. Exactly, that's um, the art. 
Curse of Chucky, you know, you sort of get more revelations about his uh, his past and uh, that progresses his character forward. And uh, Cult of Chucky, you kind of you get to see him finally gain a new body, albeit in several. The, well, yeah, yeah, the actual Chucky doll, yeah. but but he he takes over Fiona's body at the end. And she does a great job at imitating her dad's laugh. Yes, she I does. I love that. Um, so yeah, um, for for good or bad, um, do you think this is? I know a lot of people are down on. Uh, some people hate Bride of Chucky, and they really hate Seed of Chucky, and they won't even give the newer movies. A, ch- a chance. You're stupid and wrong horror elitist. Okay, I'm sorry. Not everything that's made in the '80s is sacrosanct and should not grow from what it was. Not every movie remake is inherently valueless. Movie title left unsaid. <laughs> but you know, I mean, don't be so precious with the original IP of whatever. Yeah, allow it to grow. Allow it space. And Chucky's the perfect example of my. Favorite thing well, that was allowed space to grow and we'll, expand. We'll go go back to the the opposite of that. Do you do you think there is a version of this series that could have continually played it straight? No. If, if for me, like if maybe if it had been made in nineteen eighty through the first movie, yes. eighty three, they could have done a bunch of yeah, decent I mean, sequels. They would have knocked out some sequels, had a couple kills, maybe some asshole you want killed. You know, like most horror, it would have been way more vanilla than the Child's Play slash Chucky series has been. They're it's, probably more creative. Uh, I, um, they, they, it's, there's such a divide in like old school slasher fans and then sort of the ones that have embraced you know the ridiculousness of it all. And I love a little bit everything to some degree, but without Chucky evolving, I, I think it just would have been spinning oh, wheels, yeah, you exactly. know, spinning up mud in a, in a you know what I mean? It, it had been Friday the 13th, 7th and, 7 and 8, without the great acting of uh, Kane Hodder as Jason. You take Jake Kane Hodder out of Friday the 13th, like, it's just more people getting killed. It's just formulaic. Let's just do this. Let's he put it punches a dude's head off. That's good stuff. I'm not saying the Joe kills Joe Bob are bad. says, check it out. <laughs> I'm not saying the kills are bad, but again, it's very spin in the wheels. It's no, very you're, formulaic. You're, you're right, and I have the poster literally up. I'm, I'm on the sitting wall. beneath the poster. Um, but no, you're right, and and we kind of lose sight in that Child's Play is not an '80s franchise. It started in the '80s, but it's really came to its own in the '90s. The, the '90s, uh, the the, genera- the the decade you hate. Well, I mean, yeah, but it's sort of before the cutoff point. <laughs> oh, it's before the cutoff. The oh, '90s doesn't the '90s doesn't really become the '90s until Kurt Cobain uh, <laughs> started ruining things. I have to ask you a question: When Bride of Chucky came out, latter era of the '90s. What did you think of it then as a fan? Um, the first time I saw it, I, I really liked it. Okay, that's I, the same as me. I, I, it I've, wasn't what I wanted. I've soured on it since. and, I, and the re- dated. And the reason I think I have is because of how I feel about Seed of Chucky. And yet again, I'm going to leave that out for another time. Love Seed be- because anyway. Because I have so much to say that, is that may fun. you may agree and disagree with. Um, all of Brad Dourif's voiceover work for Chucky was revo- recorded in advance so they could match up Chucky's uh, mouth words. Um, mouth so, words. Mouth my, movements. Yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> I know. To, to make, so, so his performance would be as yeah. close to what Brad Dourif's is as possible. Yeah. Um, 
Which brings us to the other aspect of what makes Chucky work on screen, and that being the animatronic design by special effects legend Kevin Yeager. Now, we're not going to go into detail about Kevin Yeager. He's done a lot. Look if it if up. you'd like to That's hear about him, we, uh, we did an in-depth uh, dissection of him on Nightmare on Street 2, which is one of our episodes available at JuicyKrieger.com. One of the best. I would agree with that. Um, but do you think, before CGI became prevalent, I really think like the changing point is Jurassic Park, which is just yeah. a few years later, but this era of animatronics is, for me, the best oh, there absolutely. ever was. Absolutely. I mean, that's when... You know, they took the time and intricacy, and it'd be run by 10 different people. There'd be a guy from charge of eyelid movement, but it all came together so fucking well. With that being said, I think you just nailed, put the nail on the head as to why it's not prevalent yeah. in film now. It takes so many people to control every little different aspect of, of a doll or an animatronic doll than it would to just put it CGI. in CGI. And they can do that. You can film something without it in a short amount of time, and the the pre-production process of putting an animatronic on screen and it doesn't work, and you've got twenty people on, you know, working behind the scenes. It's just it's a it's a clusterfuck, and time is money. So I get why they don't do it, but my god, it's so worth it. it really Every is. penny that they spent on this, they should have given him double because this is some of the best stuff. Oh, absolutely! And the the blending of because we'll get into it. Uh, Ed Gale, who uh, plays Chucky as well, um, there's some shots that stick out. Yeah, but there's also some shots in the movie that you, unless you're like dissecting it with a magnifying glass, you're not going to know the difference between the the person and the uh, and the animatronic. So camera tricks have come a long way, and uh, if for all the glory of DVD, which I, you know, I love so much, and is behind you in this giant a shelf of my collection of DVDs and Blu-rays, all behind but, uh, DVD, the entire room. DVD has done more to hurt my love of horror than any other um, thing ever. Because it holds up on VHS a lot better than you know. Oh man, get too clear. Yeah, see, that's why. I found out later on in life, if it was the first time I watch a movie, a classic movie on DVD for the first time, just get really drunk, <laughs> and it kind of counteracts it. Or just get really drunk for the sick, uh, the sake of it, because I that's mean, sort yeah. of just our, our go-to thing. For, for quitters. <laughs> exactly. Um, let's talk a little bit about Egg Gale. Um, uh, the premier little person actor, not named Warwick Davis, yeah. of his time. Um, you talked a little bit about earlier, Howard the Duck, mm-hmm. um, uh, produced by uh, George. I George Lucas directed it. I don't think he directed it. I think he produced it. Are you 100% certain? I'm not 100%. I'm pretty sure. I'm like 80% certain. Right, well, we'll Keep look, reading. I'm we'll, going to silently look you, it up. You do that. Um, and it, arguably, the, the first uh, Marvel product to, to get to the mainstream it was not well received no this time, it was not but it does have a huge cult following and From people who saw it as kids I mean, I, let's be real i watched it the other day through an adult lens i'm like i get why people at the time I, hated this. I still love it i loved it and i've said this on the podcast before and i'll say it again i still have weird feelings um because of um what's her name uh 
Oh, crap. Uh, Marty McFly's mom. Hey, you're right. He just produces William Hayek. Yeah, there you go. I'm always right. You should know that. I don't hit you for even... <laughs> no, you're not. You haven't watched Evil Dead. <laughs> you're just not right. What is her name in the movie? Oh, God. Man, you fuck, I just had help. It's going to drive me fucking nuts. Hold but, on. Um, Cast. Marty McFly. She was Caroline in the City. I never watched that. Leah Thompson? <sighs> Leah Thompson, yeah. When when they're in bed together and she ruffles his feathers, oh my god! I don't know what about that, but like that, the there there's a handful of times in my childhood before I really knew what getting a boner, the the one to one was like that was one of those things and and that um, movie is why Brandon is now a furry. Yep. Sorry to out you like that. No, but. no, I'm just really into Leah Thompson, the <laughs> touching ducks, I guess. There's some, uh, there's some like multi-million dollar scandal, like uh, Leah Thompson jerking off a duck. So you know, someone, someone's fetish out there. It could be mine. I don't know. I have to see it before I can make a determination. Um, he was a dink in Spaceballs. He was a killer dwarf in Phantasm Two, also in yep. this same year. Uh, he was stationed in uh, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. I don't know which one. He's uh, because Station is two yes. parts. And then they form into one big giant station. But he's one of them. Uh, he was the doll in Dolly Dearest. Um, I think that came out a little later. That was definitely later. I want to say like 91, but I might be wrong on that. Um, he was Warwick Davis's stunt double in Leprechaun 3, <laughs> um, which we've done Available on the Available in the archives. I was very drunk for that um, one. He was Miko Hughes' stunt double in New Nightmare. We haven't do, done New Nightmare, but um, Pet Cemetery is available in the uh, archives as well. And, of course, he played Chucky again in Part 2, and he reprised his role in Bride of Chucky, but he wasn't in Part 3 and the others. He's uh, He's had some health problems as of late. Um, he has to have oxygen and stuff. Um, very nice guy. I've actually reached out to him about doing an interview, and if that interview is on this episode, um, thank you so much. Otherwise, um, even though uh, we weren't able to schedule it, I, I think it's, it's inevitable um, that it will happen. So, knock on wood, we'll be able to get that done. If not for this episode, then Child's Play 2. Uh, he's very, very cool to this fan. So, uh, thank you so much for responding back to my emails. Um, for better or for worse, if we got to do the interview or not. So, the method of of how they utilize Ed Gale in this movie is they built sets that were like 30% bigger. And that percentage-wise is probably not... The actual yeah, it's not the get, scale. It's just a, it was bigger than natural the natural surroundings, and, and you know, they used uh, forced perspective and all sorts of like old school camera tricks to to utilize him and put him in the picture. Now, there's parts where it's fairly very, obvious, very yeah. seamless, and there's parts where it sticks out like a sore thumb. Um, do you do you think this method uh, works for the movie, like, or or does the the bad outweigh the good? No, it works, and there's some scenes even if you know it is, you still in your head need to see the character of like Chucky walking independently doing something that you know you're not. That's just not on strings, or that's on a rail. You know, it gives it freedom of movement. It puts the idea of Chucky as an independent entity in your head. Even if, even if the effect itself sticks out like a thor thumb, sore thumb for the movie, the character of Chucky is more free in your mind. You know, like as an adult, I see these things, but yet again, going back to the childhood, like it was seamless. The doll was alive. Oh, yeah. It was going to murder. It's going to murder me. <laughs> it's going to be bad. It was going to yell at me. But it, yeah, I, I I didn't see those things. So Chucky was more probably more so than any other slasher at the time was was a real threat. 
to me. Yeah. And, and a lot he's, of that goes to Ed Gale's toy. Um, the final thing I want to talk about as far as the Chucky character and his aesthetic is, which leans heavily on the Cabbage Patch Kid craze and the My Buddy toys in the 1980s uh, for a brief time, Chucky terrified me more than anything else in the world, and it's specifically because how much he resembled my buddy, the my dog. buddy, my buddy, my buddy, and me. I never had one. Never, never wanted one. My cousin had one, and after watching Child's Play, like I did not want it seen when I stayed the night at his house. Okay, well here here's the the painful, uh, painfully cute uh, childhood of Brandon A. Lane. I had a my buddy doll, and when I say I had a my buddy doll, my relationship with my buddy was the exact same that. Andy has with Chucky. I carried him with me everywhere oh. I was able to. When I went and got my hair cut, the barber would pretend to cut Buddy's hair. That's fucking adorable. When my grandparents would take me to this, uh, there's a place called the Mayflower. It's actually up where oh, you live. I know though. where you're right. Where you're talking about? Yeah, the um, uh, seafood restaurant. We would go there, and uh, they would give me my. Uh, uh, deep fried shrimp, you know, like the little baby shrimp, yeah. and they would give a separate plate so he could have some, and then, and uh, my grandfather would eat them. But yeah, so like my buddy was like this constant thing in my life, and then I saw Child's Play because of my cousin. <laughs> this was on Cinemax, and my my aunt, uh, aunt and uncle, they had one of those big satellite dishes. I've talked about it before on the podcast. One of the big ones that you had to completely change the position of to get the channels. Anyways, we're watching it. And it's like after school, so like three in the afternoon, and it's on Cinemax. Oh my God. <laughs> I can I, imagine. I was scared to go to the bathroom. I was scared. Uh, I had a race car bed back in those days, and um, I remember um, uh, telling my mom, and she's reminded me of this up before, uh, asking her why my race car bed didn't have seat belts because I was scared that Chucky would make my car wreck. But I had uh, a, there was a little rocking <coughs> chair next to my bed, and that's where Buddy would sit. And sometimes I would sleep with him, but usually Buddy would sit in that. And I woke up that night. And there was just enough light from my from my nightlight to where his eyes were staring on me, and I screamed like bloody murder. And Buddy went into the attic and did not come out until I was an adult and and moved out on on my own. But Chucky freaked me out in a way that like Jason it destroyed and Freddy, a foundational childhood friendship. It really it, it really did because. Um, uh, we moved around a lot when I was a kid, so I didn't have a lot of, like, constant friends that weren't, like, cousins or and stuff like that. Yeah. But, like, the relationship that Andy has with Chucky, that's the, that's the relationship I had, but I, I broke ties. I'm like, nope, no, I'm going to give you the chance to, <laughs> to, to kill me in my sleep. You're, you're fucking going. I actually want my, my mom to burn Chucky, or burn <laughs> Buddy, because I, I was like, no, that's the only way you can kill him. <laughs> And she told me that was the only way I'd go to sleep. He's like, no, I burned him. But he went in the attic, and I didn't know that for years later. Now he's in his bedroom with a fleshlight stitched into him. It's really weird. It's the whole thing. (laughs) Oh, so, yeah, that's weird how fetishes happen. uh, But No, that's not true. Um, uh, When Chucky finally bites the big one, I was just beyond happy. 
Uh, it's like, this little shit needs to go away forever. Um, just, so let's just run it down. He gets shot by Karen. He gets burned alive by Andy. Karen shoots him in the head, uh, shoots his arm off, shoots his leg off, and Detective Norris shoots him through the heart, killing him until his resurrection in part two. What is your score for Chucky the Killer Doll's death? Oh, God, man. It's got to be like an eight or a nine because it fucking goes hard. And he and then motherfucker, he's like a. It's like the Terminator. Yeah, like, just that's a, uh, the the what I was looking to tell you. Like he just keeps fucking going. So I'm gonna give it a eight and a half. Okay, I, I had it as an eight out of ten. I think that's fair. Um, but we also early the very beginning of the movie we get to see the death of Charles Lee Ray, and he gets shot a couple of times, and he bleeds out, and. And then you get the great scene of him doing the ah day do a dembala, putting his soul into the chucky body. Let's rank that one, even though like it's it's eh, a two, it's eh. a two, eh, two three. I mean, it's it's important, but it's it's just to it's, give you a taste. Yeah, it's just it's not really the shot. it's not really the first kill of the movie. The first real kill comes a little later on. And we'll touch that as we as we come to it. Now Chucky is going to be ever present as we continue on, but I want to talk about our protagonist for a little bit. We have Alex Vincent, the adorable child actor Alex Vincent, playing the role of Andy. Um, He doesn't have a ton of acting credits. He was in a a film called Wait Until Spring, Bandini, with uh, Joe Montaigne and Faye Dunaway. So, I mean, uh, great people to say he's got to act with. And then Brad Dourif to boot uh, and Catherine Hicks. So he's worked with some major people and, yeah, and later on where he re- would pri- reprise his roles uh in the later chucky movies he's worked with jennifer tilly and uh fiona dorif so he's been in great company but uh he's been probably the missing link for me in some of the middle movies yeah, i didn't like the i mean nothing against him but the you know the older version in part three and justin whalen justin whalen Eh, I mean, he's okay, but I, in my head, it, I don't think they've looked enough like that. Doesn't look like you what know, he grew, it, would grow up to. It's not even. It's not even that he doesn't look like him, and, and Justin Whalen is what whatever. But I think there's just something more scary about him being a little kid. And yeah. The older he gets, the like legend. it's come full circle it's, now, where he's an adult, so he gets to be he gets to take on a different aspect. He's, he's, he can be an aggressor instead of like prey. And it's just like the the difference in quality, I think, in uh, like it chapter one and it chapter two. It chapter one, it's kids on the line. I mean, it all it's always kids, but the protagonists are kids. When they're adults, despite all the, the stakes other flaws, are not as stakes high. Stakes are not as high. We, they're we, old. We value the lives of the young the because, fucking kids <laughs> because they haven't lived. And Bill Hader's been alive. And if you've ever like, seen fuck Barry, you, Bill Hader's great in that movie. He is great. And if you've seen Barry, he's done horrible <laughs> shit. So I don't. I don't sympathize for him. I'm just, I'm just kidding. But um, um, despite his short list of credits, him being Alex Vincent, he, he, he wowed the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films with a nomination for Best Performance by a Young Actor in 1990. So Alex is like five or six years old when he gets this huge break to essentially be the lead in a major motion picture. And I'm going to say this is a major motion picture because yeah, yeah. it. They it's a major put a studio. It's not independent. They put money behind it. I remember the marketing. Like I said, didn't see it in theaters. Saw it in second grade on VHS. But yeah, I remember when yeah, Chucky th- came out. This was this was not a fly by night. You know, no. something or other that just caught on. 
this was intended to be a big movie or a bigger movie, and it it, it went on. Um, this is the pre-internet age, and there's a part of me that thinks that if a kid was adorable like this now and gave the same performance, that the sheer amount of eyes that would see it that there would be a sensationalizing of him uh, probably that would lead to more roles. Um, so my question is like, my first question, is Alex Vic- Alex Vincent a victim of circumstance and timing for not getting the break in acting that he probably could have? Or are people grading his performance on a curve because of his age? I think a little column A, a little column B, and I'm not familiar enough with his background and his parents to even say if they wanted him to pursue much for it. I don't know enough about his story to know that he had a failed career. I mean, probably, let's be real, any parent that lets their kids start a major motion picture, they probably wanted more roles. Yeah. Uh, but... Well, he owns a production company now, so it isn't like that he's uh, been unsuccessful. Yeah. He just he hasn't pursued acting, I guess, uh, full-time. But the, the question is, I guess, is... He would have been in more things that had been out. Look at the kid from Room. Not The Room, yeah. the great Tommy Wiseau masterpiece. <laughs> but that other lesser film about the, you know, the kidnapped victim and her son. That kid's gone on to do a lot of... I mean, he gave a great performance at a super young age, well, and he's been on another shit. My, my, the thing I find interesting about this is, like, whether you find him good in the movie or or not, and, I, and people, I are, and people are harsh on child actors, and I, I like him in this movie. Oh, fuck you. This is the end, friend. Yeah. Mm. But there are moments of him that are so painfully cute. Things that you couldn't, like, they're not written. They're just things that he's doing. Because, by existing. Yeah, by existing. And I feel like that if this movie came out now, just with social media the way it is, that, like, it would blow up probably to a point where it would, it, it probably could tip in the other direction of, like, well, we're not going to cast him because everybody's sick of him. But I do, I, I'm saying it could go either way, but I think he would have had more opportunities now. Yeah, absolutely. Than then. So, and, sorry, Alex, you didn't get the, uh, opportunities that maybe you could have now but we're we're glad that you have stayed you know sort of in the the and public eye to the interest of child's play and i'm really glad it didn't fuck you up for life too which uh he'll he'll talk about in just a couple moments once we uh, go through a couple of other other things um whether or not you love alex in the role of andy i mean you have to respect the plot that surrounds him even though he falls into the tired and true slasher trope of the protagonist not being believed when shit actually goes down. That being said, I think the writing at least lays enough groundwork to discredit him from Detective Norris and his mother. Um, They do kind of play with the the aspect of, like, is it actually Chucky doing this? The flower and the first kill. Yeah, I mean, do you think that... Do you think that if they had done more of this, it would make the movie better? Because uh, No, because in the end, a horror movie, this is a scary movie, as a child especially, but I mean, it's trying to, but again, at the end of that, it's a popcorn movie, you want, you want to get on with the show. You don't want to see people in a porno make out too long. You want to see them fuck. You don't know what I like. (laughs) 
I don't want to know. It's sick. I want three hours of just dry humping and tongue fucking. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, no, I mean, again, and again, marketing also, it's not like the marketing left it ambivalent. I like the fact that, you know, there's a little bit, but let's give it a taste and get on with what follows. Well, okay, well, here's the other aspect. From from the way they do it, did you ever feel... At any point that Andy was a credible candidate, no, but the you know, then again, I was familiar with the marketing. I didn't, not for a second, think. Also, watching this as a kid, I didn't think they're going to have a kid be a killer. It's got to be the bad guy doll. I didn't see that. Maybe seeing this back then as an adult, there would have been like a ooh. It's kind of like in the Nightmare on Elm Street remake where they, even though it's kind of pointless, they threw in maybe Freddy was innocent for yeah. a second. Uh, I thought that was an interesting idea. I, I almost would have liked that movie better if it had turned out he had been. Yeah, that would have been good too. But uh, Because you want to talk about justification for coming beyond the grave to fuck like you're, oh, you put me in, you know, exactly. fuck you guys. It's usually like Candyman. He was innocent. That he was. That he was. Sad we're uh, probably going to have that postponed because we're coming up yeah. right on the release of Oh, yeah, of that. it's going to be postponed. Um. Uh, one one last uh, thing about Andy before we move on. Uh, the scene where he makes breakfast for his mother towards the beginning of the movie, you know, the, the burnt toast and just pouring the milk out, that made me so anxious watching that back this past week. <laughs> and I, I love kids. A lot of my, my friends have kids, and I'm happy to be, you know, the fun uncle who shows up and, you know, is a dick to you and in short burst, but also kind of cool. But I think this movie as an adult has, uh, low key, uh, added to my decision to not want to have children. And uh, your, your parents, I mean, like you can, you can talk to this, but uh, like how often does shit like that happen? I know your kids are a little older, but when, yeah, they, when they're younger, like, I'm, I'm a stepdad to three teenagers, thankfully. And if they cook, they cook well. But the idea of my great nephew, uh, getting around a toaster, Possibly starting the oven. It's anxiety and dude. Like, no. No, get me a Pop Tart. <laughs> that can be my breakfast in bed. Like, no, I get what you're saying. Like, it's adorably cute in context of the movie, but I don't want my six year old nephew fucking around anywhere in the kitchen. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. 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 Cute no. scene, though. Yeah, cute I mean, scene, but no. It's a cute I... idea. It's just it's just funny that like as an adult, what what things you just like flip to Trevor? This is bullshit. <laughs> Get back in there and do better. Learn to cook, you little shit. Your daddy would have died if you learned how to make cereal, right? You piece of shit. Exactly. <laughs> but it's just funny how like as an adult, uh, the things that aren't even necessarily intended to to bother you, and I say you, you know, like it's as a meant universal, to be cute. yeah, but it, man, that really bothered me watching it back, um, but that being said, um, even I can admit that Andy is adorable, and credit where credit is due, Alex Vincent absolutely killed it in Child's Play, but you don't want to hear that from me, so let's hear it straight from the horse's mouth, Rant Army, I give you star of Child's Play, Alex Vincent. Hey, Rant Army. This is Alex Vincent, Andy Barkley from the Chucky films with my friend to the end and yours, Chucky himself. Uh, He was mentioning to me that the uh, Rants from the Black Lodge podcast are celebrating their third year anniversary. I I think Chucky's an avid listener. He talks about it all the time. 
anyways, yeah, uh, congratulations. I did a podcast for a bit, and usually it's a lot of work, and, you know, no money or anything, usually, so uh, it takes a lot of time and dedication and effort, and uh, yeah, three years is something to be really proud of. That's awesome. Uh, so yeah, I've been tasked with uh, sharing my experience of making the original Child's Play film. Uh, well, I wasn't scared. Everybody asked that question. If I had nightmares, is the number one question in my life. Um, but yeah, the truth is, he and I have always gotten along pretty well. Uh, I thought it was the coolest thing in the world to be part of such a big production when I was a kid. And it was the first real film that I got. And it was a big budget film that we shot in Chicago and L.A. Uh, yeah, so to me, it was just the coolest thing in the world. Um, I had the whole script memorized, all my lines, all everybody else's lines. Uh, I took it probably a little more serious than I should, but I had a lot of fun with it. Um, so I think that, that it worked out well, the first film. It's still one of my favorites. Right, Chucky? And, and hey, it started a 35-year friendship between the two of us. That's got to count for something. Well, almost 33 years. We're getting there. Uh, so, yeah. Anyways, thanks, guys, for being big fans. I appreciate it. Good luck with your podcast. Keep it going. Chucky will be listening. And I wish you guys all the best. Thanks so much. Take care. I can't. Thank you enough, Alex, for participating in this episode. Thank you, Alex. Yeah, very, very cool of you to uh, respond back to my email and everything. Um, next up, we have someone who didn't share my disdain for being a parent, and that's Andy's mom herself, who also participated in this episode. Thank you so much, Catherine Hicks, playing the role of Karen Barclay, a.k.a. Andy's mom. Um, she's got to... Uh, a knack for playing a mom. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll she's kind of built for it. We'll talk about that a little as we go on. But uh, she's been all over TV and film. Uh, 210 episodes of the soap opera Ryan's Hope. I do know that one. Couldn't tell you any plot points no, about it. No, I've I know heard the, of it. know the title. Uh, she was in 26 episodes of the Bad News Bears television series. And I didn't know that even existed I until now. I it existed, but I've never seen it. Um, she's in Peggy Sue Got Married, and um, it's a good movie, uh, directed by Francis Ford Coppola, but as a kid, I hated it, because I always got It and Back to the Future mixed up, because anytime it would be on television, I thought it was Back to the Future, because the whole crux of it is, yeah, and, yeah, and, the... and um, I kept waiting, it's like, when is Marty McFly gonna show up? <laughs> this is bullshit! Um, she's in Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home, Um She's the Captain Kirk love interest. That's the role. I this and Child's Play are the two roles I that are foundational parts of my childhood that I know her for. Uh, Star Trek Four is is also a movie that uh, sort of implements comedy into the mix or revitalizing its franchise. Exactly. It has one of my favorite lines of all time. Uh, Captain Kirk and the rest of the crew of the the Enterprise are in 1980s San Francisco. And they get to uh, an area where they're trying to cross traffic. So here they just start walking and uh, a car, I think it's a cab or just a car of, you know, whatever, uh, stops and honks the horn. And the guy goes out the window and yells at Captain Kirk, dumbass. And then, uh, and William Shatner has the best comeback, double dumbass on you. Yes, I knew exactly (laughs) when you said it. I knew it was going to be double dumbass on you. So yeah, I say that. 
all the time, and no one ever gets that reference. So that's why we're friends. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, she was in Like Father, Like Son with Dudley Moore and Kurt Cameron, which is Freaky Friday, but the boy version. Yeah. Um, I like that movie a lot uh, growing up. I love Dudley Moore. Not so much Kurt Cameron. Fuck you, Kurt Cameron. <laughs> um, but she's best known for her role as the mother in Seventh Heaven for 242 episodes. That show was on the air for like uh, 10 or 11 years. And her co-star is a pedophile. Yep, he's he, a chomo. Yeah, he Gross. Uh, he was a fuck. And his character is he's a like a preacher. A preacher, and she's a preacher's wife. Well, it, it scans, except he's not a priest. Yeah, that's well. I don't know. Do, I think have, I, we, have we have we have we entirely decided that only the Catholics are blessed okay, people? Okay, yeah, you're right. Catholics have the lockdown on altar boys <laughs> and little boys, you know. But sexual perversion abounds in all forms of preachers, yeah, all sorts, all sorts of people in general. But Billy uh, Graham used to fuck goats. The, the wrestler or the uh, the evangelist? evangelist. No. The wrestler, you know. I thought maybe that's how uh, Billy like Billy Graham, the, 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 the Billy Graham wrestler, got all stout. <laughs> too too sweet to be sour. Two tons of power. Um, Catherine Hicks, like I said, is uh, known to play mothers. Where would you rank her in the pantheon of like movie moms? So if the one that comes to mind for me is D. Wallace. E. Oh, T. absolutely. E. Cujo. I mean, she's up there, top ten. Of like cinematic eighties and nineties movie moms, you know, like thing. in my head when I when I started formatting my my notes, I was thinking like, well, we'll have a discussion of like movie moms, and then I came to the conclusion is like, well, there really weren't that many other than that just played one. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. there's all kinds of famous movie and television moms, but they're they're only known for that role. But the reason that I have to kind of give her credit is that she did it more than once. And then Dee Wallace, obviously, is number yeah. one. She was every mom in the 1980s. And um, let's not forget her amazing turn in Howling. She's not a mom in that. Or not Howling. Yeah, no, it was the Howling. Yeah, the and, Howling. Oh, you, you want to know something uh, about the Howling? What? Um, I don't know if it is in the American cut of the movie but uh, there is a deleted scene where you get to see her fucking tits when she's in the hot tub when they're at the the werewolf nice. commune. Uh, I think that's in the deleted scenes. I only have it on v- uh, DVD. I'm pretty sure there's a Scream Factory Blu-ray that may have an unrated cut. I, and that's entirely non-necessitive to this discussion. Yeah. But D. Wallace, if you got a thing from MILFs, love you, D. Let's get you on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Catherine's effectiveness, uh, back to her, of playing a mom, is pretty much the entire catalyst for the plot going forward. Personally, one of the things that really hooked me in watching the movie back this past time was the irony of bad things springing from good intentions. And, um, she's a widowed single mother struggling to make ends meet. And she goes to a dangerous area... Just to get her kid the the only the thing he toy. yeah the only thing he wants for his birthday, and subsequently this is the very thing that ends up getting her friend and nearly her kid and herself murdered. It destroys their whole lives. 
Um, well, yeah, I mean, going going on to the she second went movie, to an insane asylum, and, didn't she? Yeah, she yeah. and he's fostered, uh, and, and he's all fucked up for life. It's it's just a whole mess, all because she loved her son. Yeah, this, don't I, love your kids, people. That's the takeaway from this movie. Just just feed them, clothe them, bare minimum. Well, I've made my point clear about how I feel about uh, or don't have them at all. Yeah, don't have them at all. Then then you can just sex and drugs all you want without Mandatory repercussions. Abortions. <laughs> Okay, so um, there there is um one specific scene that when watching the movie back um that really stood out um in my opinion as sort of a missed opportunity to balance the the irony of her doing something good where it turned bad. So um, I want to get your take on this. Mrs. Barkley's friend uh, Maggie informs her that there's this bum out in the back alley that has the good guy doll. So they leave the department store for a few minutes to go get it. And when they come back, her boss, Mr. Criswell, who's played by Alan Wilder, uh, kind of scolds them for leaving their post. And he's just being a complete dick to them. And he lets her know that an employee had called out that night. And she's going to have to work. And nobody else can do it. Now, Maggie offers, like, hey, no, I'll work. This is Andy's birthday. He's, he's a kid. And it's her, it's her kid's birthday. But he's like, no, you work over here. You can't work here. So he's being a complete dick just for being a dick's sake. He gets off on the power he has. Yes, the, the very the very limited power he has to uh, to order these two able working women to slave over. Hey, I've worked with bosses like that. You give them a little bit of power, they're complete tyrants. I, I, I know them. I know them. So this chain of events completely spirals into the, the entire plot of the movie. I feel like this is an a, a moment that they could have given a little bit back uh, against the irony, but I want to get your take on it. Do you think that there that Mr. Criswell should have been a victim in this movie? Oh, that would have been great. You're right. Absolute missed opportunity. I think the uh, the. The they problem could, is that how do you get him you into can a get position? Andy and Chucky to go to him or something. You're right. It would have been hard to bring him back, or maybe right in that he's like sexually harassing her, comes by her house to try to try to do something. But yeah, you're right. It's a missed opportunity. But it would have taken too much bending over backwards to put him in the path of Chucky. I, I feel like the the film's narrative, it, it, it's structured pretty well. Like, there's not really any dead time in the movie, and the drawback to setting something like this up, it may kind of throw that yeah. flow off. So I get why it's not, but after watching this back, like, how could you just not want this fucker to bite the, bite it, you know? Exactly. And you know, like, the hey. next day, she's not going to going to work. And she's probably going to get fucking fired by this dick because she didn't show up. Well, it's the late 80s, early 90s. We'll just hope he got AIDS from a prostitute and died. <laughs> that's I, how, he, from he, now on, that's canon he, in my head. He got AIDS from a homeless person. Um, Who raped him. <laughs> it's, it is Chicago. It's it, very dangerous. Yes. And there's hordes of, like, horny, um, transient people in this movie. Well, well, that's, well, that's his story. That's his fate. I don't know. Once Karen is convinced that her son isn't crazy, which is that's a trope in like all these movies, the parent can't believe the kid. Um, so I, I, I get that. Um, it, if you had them immediately believe the kid, it kind of 
it spurs into a completely different kind of movie. Um, but when she does believe him, like she goes to extreme limits to protect her son and like almost vind- vind- yeah. vindicate him. So I, I found that as kind of an interesting twist on the on the movie because. In a lot of ways, like Andy is the main character, but so is his mom, and they almost have concurrent stories. You yeah. have the sort of the the A and the B plot, but she's the star of the B plot, which I mean, really is the A plot. But you're you're anchoring yourself to the Andy character because yes. he's the one that's in direct peril all the time. Um, when she is following up on these things, she goes and tries to find the bum and is almost raped, probably by the... The, 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 the one bu- who will eventually it, rape her boss yes, and, give, and him give him the AIDS. Um, but she's saved by our other protagonist, uh, Chris Sarandon, playing the role of Detective Mike Norris. Um, Speaking of Fright Night. Yeah, he's, he's uh, long, uh, long-standing, well-regarded actor, um, but uh, another one that... Uh, somehow has made peace with being in horror movies and uh horror adjacent projects and, and hasn't been down on them so so good on him uh i know him from a uh, dog day afternoon with al pacino uh he was leon in that he's in the sentinel which is a great uh, late 70s haunted house movie he was the vampire jerry dandridge in fright night and we're gonna have to do it we've we've uh, puffed our chest up about yeah. it it's it's inevitable fright night uh, twenty twenty one, maybe twenty twenty two. Got a lot of things in the fire, but it's going to happen eventually. Prince Humperdinck in the Princess Bride, probably his Biggest most mainstream role. His, his most uh on screen, probably the one yeah. he's best known for. Um, he was also uh the villain in uh, Bordello Blood, Tales from the Crypt. Gonna... But the the thing that every fat goth girl I've ever met knows him from. Jack Skellington, yeah, from yeah. the Nightmare Before Christmas. Even though it's mostly in that movie, Danny Elfman singing the, the speaking roles. Yes, um, I've met him. He's really, really down to earth. He's one of those people that will do conventions, and, and a lot of these people, like uh, that, you will meet, do not want to be there. They just need money. Just give they me, like give me your money. I will sign your autograph and get the fuck out of there. I've seen him talk to people for hours, and and you can genuinely tell that he's he's just a nice guy and wants to interact with people. He also has the second scariest scene in Child's Play when Chucky's going after him in the car. That also fucked me up. We'll we'll talk about that in in just a moment. Um, Chris is kind of playing against type in this movie. Um, Especially when you consider his other two notable on-screen roles, Prince Humperdinck and Jerry Dandridge, he's that kind guy. of the heavy, you know, kind of the the smarmy dick you want to see, you know, kind of get his comeuppance. Do you think Chris Sarandon makes a good hero, or was he just sort of a born villain? I love his villain roles. Don't get me wrong. Jerry Dandridge is one of my favorite. Jerry movie Dandridge ever. is a great one. I like his. Uh, I loved him in Bordello Blood. He's one of the few things I genuinely love about that movie. Lot a lot a lot of flaws. This, this is a side note here, but um, what is that? Uh, the new uh, uh, the heavenly gemstones. Is that what it's called? Yeah, the Danny McBride show. Yeah. yeah. Do you think the character that um, uh, Walton Goggins, Baby Billy, is playing 
Is doesn't he remind you of the character he plays yeah, in Mordell Blood? I mean, I know it's sort of a, an archetype. But, it is. But the whole time I'm watching that, pretty recently, I'm like, God damn, he's just like uh, him and fucking Mordell Blood. Um, but maybe I'm just drawing comparisons to the whole Southern tent revival preacher kind yeah. of stuff. Um, but watch that show; it's very good. Uh, took that recommendation from you, and I really, uh, really liked it. Um, I think he's a born villain. He's he's great in this movie because he he still kind of plays it. He's still he's still it's a kind a of a dish, but he's he's an overworked cop. But once he does kind of realize everything's going on, like he does, like yeah. okay, something's going on. I gotta track this down, and that leads us into one of the aspects of Child's Play that completely separates it from any other slasher movie and the fact that we have a car chase scene. Well, it's not really a car chase, but... It's a car attack. A car attack. I mean, it's something, you know, like the car is out of control. The budget... You, allow you them to do that. Allow yeah. them to do that, but I, I can't think of any other slasher movie that even... Part six and Friday Thirteenth, you have a car yeah. chase, but it, you, know, you don't have flips and no. and all that the bangs and whistles and, and stuff. But I can't think of any other slasher movie that has anything like this. No. Um. So you want to just talk about like the just, the car chase, like why you the, why just knowing that like he's crawling around, he's choking, he's stabbing through the seat. It is a sis. Okay, maybe scared was the wrong word. It kept me on the edge of my fucking seat. It was super suspenseful. Like, holy shit, holy shit. It's the it's the scene in the movie that gives you why a doll would be a threat. I because you that's perfect. Yeah, you, you got you got the nail on the head there. Um, a lot of the criticism from modern horror fans is like, well, how could you be scared by a doll? And my my retort to that is like, why are you scared of fucking Annabelle? Yeah, you know what I mean. To add, nah, that's a whole other can of worms. Um, I like the Conjuring movies, especially the first one, but Annabelle sucks. The second, or the prequel, Annabelle, Annabelle creation. Origin, creation was great. Yeah. I want to know if it was great. It was it was good. I'll say great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're, you're for you're, the cut. Man, watch that bullshit La Llorona. Ugh. Nah, no thank you. Um, the thing about that scene that makes it great is is indicative that it was made in 1988. If this scene were made now, it would be edited so frantically you wouldn't be able to keep up with the yeah. the action of them. You there would be more action, but you would lose track of like where everyone is placed in the moment. Yeah, there's so many quick cuts. Michael Bay syndrome, what I call it, where yeah. you have to cut to 800 different angles. But the scenes are uh, long, drawn out just enough to where you can figure out where someone is, and then when you have your insert shots. And there's an action of like the the knife coming but between his legs, uh, or the the thing going around his neck and choking him, or the the foot going to the the gas. You know, it all makes sense and it flows very well because logically, your mind would be like, well, why isn't he just hitting the brakes? And that yeah. does happen, but it plays out in such a way where it makes logical sense where everybody is and why everything is happening in that moment. And he gets to. Uh, uh, the the quick thing that doesn't exist in most cars now is that he has the 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 lighter and yep. he burns Chucky's face, uh, which is a a nice little point. Um, this is also important to the rest of the plot because until this point, Chucky 
thinks he's, he's invincible. Yeah, he's a doll. So he gets shot, he gets burnt, and then like he runs off at this point because he's yeah. like taunting him, like, come on, Norris, come get me. But once he realizes that he can bleed, uh, his motivations change of like, whoa, okay, I've got to go and track down serious I gotta now. go track down John and, you know, see what the voodoo can do for me. Um a little piece of trivia uh, about Chris, um, and uh, I I knew this, but um, there's always been a contention about this, so let's clear the air. Um, he was married to a woman named Susan Tomlin from 1967 to 1979. You probably remember her or know her better as Susan Sarandon. Um, oddly enough, she kept his last name, and for all this time, they are constantly misidentified as relatives like brother and sister as opposed to former you know partners i think i'd heard that like i never mistook them for brother and sister i think i heard somewhere along the way that she she, like tina turner didn't kept the name that's that's a leave me my name that's kind of a i mean they're uh, for by all accounts they're they're still on good terms with one another there's no like contention he didn't like turner her no um not that we're aware of and if he and if he did she probably deserved it i mean she she seems the mouthy type that's what you get for making that last man standing movie or what was called uh death uh fuck dead man walking dead man walking last man standing last man that's a that's the prequel (laughs) there you go Okay, okay, I think we've adequately made the case uh, for Chucky's motivations for murder, so let's spill a little blood and bring on those victims. Our first victim is none other than Charles Lee Ray. We talked about this a little earlier. Detective Norris uh, shoots him. Um, important death, but in slasher terms, it's pretty underwhelming. You yeah. gave it a two, I think, two, three. I think that's fair. Um, next up on the chalking block is Andy's babysitter, Karen. Um, she's uh, or Andy's babysitter, Maggie, who is Karen's best friend, um, played by uh, Dinah Mainoff. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. She was in 15 episodes of Soap. She was Marty in Grease, uh, but she's best known for 170 episodes of Empty Nest. So Maggie gets smacked in the face with a toy hammer that came with Andy's good guy tool set, which is the one of the first toys he gets like earlier yeah. in the day and he's kind of disappointed because he gets clothes and as a child of that age when this movie came out True. I can completely understand his disappointment um, nothing worse than getting clothes even today like really fuck you I want a toy I don't care if I'm a 36 year old man I just I just pre-ordered a King Diamond action figure you know why because I fucking need it it's <laughs> a necessity <laughs> um, but uh, she gets knacked, uh, whacked in the face with this toy hammer, which I find is just sort of like uh, well, they gallows set up. It's real working toys, so it's a metal hammer. I know, but it's it's little it's so and it's it's the comical. It, it, it's gallows humor. Yeah, it's this an ironic way to to go out, and she, you know, go defenestrate. Uh, defenestrate is that what it's called when you uh, go through a window? I don't know defenestration. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's what it's called. Um, she crashes through the window and then, you know, goes DOA on a parked truck. Um, great introductory kill. What What's your score? I'm going to give it like a, a six. Six, it, the only reason it's not a five is the buildup is nice. There's a, it's the suddenly violent. And, you know, I mean, it, it goes pretty big. And probably my fondness for the in-character uh, Chucky commentary of that kill but, you know, it's not, it's not typical, it's typical first victim slasher kill. Real quick, real, it's, you know, it's, it's just, not gory. It's just ambiguous enough to 
kind of lit itself that maybe it could have been Andy, but it was Chuck. Yes. Um, I also gave it a six. Um, by the way, the, the the thing that I love about this, the reason that Megan gets killed is because Chucky wants to watch the news and um, she she's like, that. she keeps her on the channel. So um, there's a great jump scare there, by the way. Probably the most effective one in the movie where Maggie's like fooling around and then all of a sudden like the TV comes on. It's just really loud. Yeah. This The scene's very quiet and then you've got that snap of the TV coming on in the background. Um, Maggie's death is pro- petty and that's kind of why I love it. But our, our next kill... No, no, is, no. What did you rate it? A six out of ten. Oh, same. six out of ten. Okay. Um, like I said, her, her kill is kind of petty, but... Um, the next one is a little more personal. Um, and I'm going to fucking butcher, butcher this guy's name. Neil Guentoli plays Eddie Caputo, who is uh, Charles Lee Ray's partner and Will Man. You see him at the very beginning. Actually, do you see him? I don't care if you see him or if he just, uh, you see him drive away. I don't remember. I can't remember if you actually see him in the, in the truck or the car or whatever. But when... Um, Charles Lee Ray is wounded and he's like limping yeah. and he's like, Eddie, get the car. And, um, but he gets left behind when he hears uh shot. So Chucky, Chucky has not forgot about this um, seasoned character actor. Um, and when doing a little bit of research about him, I was really taken back because like I said before, I didn't realize there was a, a bad news bears television series. This is even more puzzling how I didn't realize this. He played Henry in Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, Part 2, what the fuck? How what? is that, Exactly. How is there a sequel to this and I didn't realize it? We have failed. Is the podcast over? Canceled. Bye. Um, not only have I Probably failed. Probably sucks. I, I was going to say, no. there is no way this movie can be good. No. Um, and I feel like I failed for not knowing it existed, but I think they have failed even more for even making a sequel to Henry Portrait yeah, of a Serial that Killer. Doesn't, that did not need a sequel. So, so good. One of the one of the most effective... God, when they horror, kill that family, fuck me up. Horror isn't even the right word to use with that because it goes so much deeper into like deep-seated, like real-life disgustingness. Great movie. Um, can't sing its praises enough um but uh i'm gonna be seeking this out i, I have to know yeah. what the fuck could henry portrait of a serial killer part two even be um eddie inadvertently kills himself when chucky sneaks into the slum house that he's held up in hiding from the cops and you know and probably from uh you know whatever nefarious yeah. undercurrents are going on in his world um so Chucky sneaks in, he opens up the oven, he blows out the pilot light, turns up the gas, and he hears, <laughs> he hears like, uh, sounds, so Eddie's, like, probably high, I'm oh, assuming. of course he he's, he's uh, going around, he's spooked by the noises, going room to room, and he just starts shooting his gun, which is the most Chicago thing ever. That, yeah. Like, that crime is just so normal there that shots rang, nothing. No, it's not even a big deal. He's not even... Worried about drawing attention to himself. But uh, finally uh, enters the room with the gas, shoots it, and blows all to hell. What is your score for this kill? Six out of ten. I, I gave it a five. Um, I can see the five. I almost gave it a five, but I'm naturally generous. Irony is always funny to me, but I docked points because Eddie, Eddie basically kills himself. Um, there are three things... 
I want to talk about that lead to Eddie's death. Um, number one, Chicago schools just let students come and go as they please because nobody stops Andy from leaving. Yeah, little kid, fuck it. Um, and he's five or six years old, uh, like in actual age and in movie age. Uh, number two, people in Chicago don't question an unattended five-year-old kid riding the L train who's... And, and, and yet again, I realize that in metropolises that uh, kids probably do that, but that age, I, I don't... I, maybe I'm wrong. apathy can only spread so far. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. If I'm wrong, let me know, uh, Ran Army. But I just found that uh, interesting. But these two things lead to... Chucky and Andy even being in the vicinity of where he is. It's a very shitty neighborhood. Very, very shitty neighborhood. Um, Number three aspect I found strange is Eddie is temporarily distracted by Andy calling out for Chucky, but he doesn't react to him calling for Chucky. Now, at first I thought maybe he didn't realize the name, the nickname for Chucky being associated with Charles Lee Ray, but later on, Detective Norris goes through Charles Lee Ray's files, and his alias was Chucky. So, Eddie yeah. Caputo had to know this. So, drugs. It, it, it's got to be drugs. It's got to be drugs. But I'm I'm guessing it actually probably is just an oversight in the script. But we'll we'll generalize it with we'll be saying this drugs. Uh, our next victim has the distinction of definitely having the most creative kill in the film, Ray Oliver as John, who is Charles Lee uh, Ray's voodoo mentor. Um, his only other claim to fame was he was in the Mary Tyler Moore spinoff, uh, Lou Grant, where he was in eight episodes. Okay, so it's basically just child's play then. <laughs> pretty, pretty, pretty much. Um, you want to talk about his kill? Because Man, the voodoo doll kill, and I'm going to go ahead and tell you, uh, 10 out of 10. In the okay, you can't hold it up to hatchet. In this movie, it is the absolute best kill. You can argue Chucky the doll, but you know taking the voodoo doll and torturing it and just oh god, I love it. Sound effects, everything. It's it's very creative. Um, I feel like especially now, if this movie were made, this, it'd be a lot. It'd the be CGI would be overdone. I, I kind of like. Or you could have one of these modern filmmakers like Adam Green or Joe Lynch go fucking hard with it the other way and still be practical. That's that's true, but I just I I just I'm. St- st- Speaking from the viewpoint of a studio film, the the CGI would be so over the top, unbelievable in a non-satisfying way that I'm I'm glad that that it's just it's those great sound effects. It's just him contorting the way he does. You know, the other kills are direct cause and effect. This one does. It's voodoo. It's a voodoo kill. I mean, well, the the whole thing's rooted in voodoo. Chucky's alive because of voodoo, but. The contortion uh, isn't yeah. what kills him. No. The, the final blow is that he drives yeah. the knife into the voodoo doll and then John bleeds out. He gets to give some expository dialogue yeah. to, uh, you know, Detective Norris and um, Andy's mom about, you know, destroy his heart. And that's sort of a uh, an old kind of trope. It's like going back to, you know, vampires. And, and, and he can, the movie here up. On the wall, Jason, Jason goes, goes to, to hell. hell. You gotta destroy his heart. So that's or eat it. It looked delicious. You don't destroy him that way. 
You can only destroy it by stabbing it by a dagger that came from the evil dead that has nothing to do with the rest of the movie, but you know, whatever. I still like I still like Jason Goes to Hell. Yeah. <laughs> um, my score for the Ray Oliver's kill is a seven out of ten. I ranked it a little bit lower, um, and just bec- and the only reason in context of this movie, I agree with you. It should probably be higher. Yeah. Um, but this is 1989 or 88 rather. Um, this is when special effects are on the forefront. Yeah, and the movie benefits from it being. Not super over the top, but I'm I'm still having to rank against its competitors. Exactly. So seven out of ten. Um, it's uh, it's probably the first one I I think to when I come up with some when Child's Play comes up in conversation. This is the one that I'm going to probably reference. So definitely one of the best kills of the series. Oh yeah. So let's continue on with our victims. Uh, next up. Um, to fall prey to Chucky is a face that fans of 70s television will probably recognize. Uh, Jack Colvin playing the role of Dr. Ardmore. Um, but I know him best for playing Jack McGee in 83 episodes of The Incredible Hulk. He's the tabloid reporter yeah. who is always following um, a da- or, yeah, well, David Banner, David in, Banner in, the in, show, in the show because Bruce was a gay name and you couldn't say that on television. How stupid the world was back then. Yeah. Um, now, I don't know for certain, but I'm going to postulate a theory that Jack was cast entirely because director Tom Holland had actually worked with him on an episode of The Incredible Hulk called Another Path. Um uh, we talked, Tom Holland had yeah. an acting career and he had a role in this. So I think he probably had an appreciation for Jack Colvin just as a oh, kind yeah. of a catch all character actor and they could probably get him cheap. And that's just being honest about it. And yeah. He, his, I'm kind of conflicted about his death scene. I feel like the lead up to it is, is pretty good. In fact, some of the best stuff in the movie is the stuff where Andy is in the, uh, the mental hospital and Chuck, you have that shot where like Andy's looking out the window, and you see Chucky coming up the the stairwell, and that's Ed Gale in yeah. the costume. And that scene is so that's good. A good one. And when uh, Andy breaks down right there, that's the best acting that Alex does because he's like, "He's gonna kill me!" Like that's believable. Yeah. That gave me chills watching it back this week. But it all leads to Andy getting free because he knows Chucky's coming. And he kind of, you know, he does the whole bed thing and puts the pillow under there. So yeah. Chucky gets the the fake out kill and it isn't him. But he hides away in this room where they do the shock therapy. He gets a scalpel and he's backing up. And this is another uh, credit to, to Alex Vincent just being unintentionally adorable. He just keeps backing and slightly falling into stuff. Like you can't, you couldn't tell him to do it no. the way he did it. He just did it the best way. But he gets the scalpel taken away from him uh, by Jack Colvin playing the, the role of the doctor. And Chucky gets the scalpel and he stabs him in the leg. And this leads him to getting the shock halo and putting it on his head and cranking up the bolts and shocking him to death. What is your score for this kill? Seven out of ten. I, I ranked it at a six. And the reason is I knocked it down a few points, not because the kill isn't effective, but I feel like they kind of skimped on the makeup with it. Yeah, I mean, because I it that. literally just looks like they took 
like grease paint and darkened his eyes and around a little bit under the halo. Um, the one thing that's kind of cool about it is he's got blood coming out of his eyes. I don't know. I, um, I'm probably uh, yet again holding the year against the kill. I get it. But a few years earlier, this would have been completely fine. But in '88, I feel like they they. Um, I'm not saying his eyeballs should have exploded or anything. Eyeballs should have exploded, skin <laughs> cracking, blood pouring out, head explode. <laughs> this is the 80s, damn it. All right. Um, yeah, six out of ten. Uh, all right, let's move into a little bit of trivia. We're, we're about to close things out. Um, uh, Catherine Hicks, um, who's the star of this film, and special effects artist Kevin Yeager, they met on the set of this film, and they were married almost a year to the date. And they are still married to this day. See, I think that's where I got my wires crossed thinking Kevin Yeager and... Uh, I, I Same thing. Yeah. Fucking um, Heather, Heather. Heather Langenkamp. Heather Langenkamp. Yeah, we, we had previously uh, uh, made this uh, this claim, and it wasn't until I did Pet Cemetery that I realized, wait a minute, this isn't right, because the special effects artist on that movie is married to uh, Heather Langenkamp. So we, we, we knew she was married to a special effects artist, just not Kevin those, Yeager. Those, those special effects guys get all the sweet poon. Yeah, yeah. Man, Heather Langenkamp. I like the sweet, innocent, like, you know, it's not slutty poon. It's, it's... <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, the name Charles Lee Ray is derived from the names of notorious figures through history. Uh, Charles Manson, Lee Harvey Oswald, who... Whether you believe or not, may or may not have been the assassin of John F. Kennedy. It wasn't. It was the wake, Illuminati. Wake up, sheeple! <laughs> it was uh, Bernie Sanders, and um, or uh, George uh, Bush Senior. Yeah. Um, it was, uh, and the third one being Charles uh, Earl Ray, who, uh, if you ask some people, uh, or may or may not have been the uh, actual assassination of Martin Luther King. Um. So. Uh, do you think that's uh, kind of cool, uh, kind of cool, string, stringing all those things yeah. together? If you're going to have a villain, you know, use real villain. Um, it's definitely memorable. I mean, uh, e- like even if, I mean, Chucky lends itself a little more to a, a killer doll. Um, but, you know, you have but, the, the the establishment of a real, the human adult name is all those evil than Chucky, you know, which is also a reference to Chuck Berry, the notorious child murderer. (laughs) (laughs) Chuck Chuck Berry, who put cameras in bathrooms uh, and uh, watched women pee. Yeah. (laughs) He was good. He played some good rock and roll, though, so it's okay. Marty McFly created rock and roll. That's true. (laughs) Thank you, Leah Thompson. See, everything comes full circle. Um, I'd fuck my mom, too, if she looked like Leah Thompson. That's a fucked up thing to say. I'm not even <laughs> drunk anymore. Um, <laughs> the original work print for Charles, uh, for Child's Play um, was over two hours long. Reportedly, some of the scenes uh, that were deleted uh, or cut down in the original uh, version of the movie, uh, the opening, which had Mike undercover to catch Charles Lee Ray that was excised, Andy showing uh, Chucky's room. We kind of touched on that a little earlier. Yep. Andy falling into a ditch in front of Eddie Caputo's hideout as it explodes. And I want to see this because I get to see it in my head, and he probably does it adorably. And it probably. Little, little winter clothes uh, he has just falling. Yeah. It's probably like, you know, just like a fainting goat. Yeah. He's just limp, like, bump. Um, uh, Chucky's witch doctor mentor, John, performing a ritual, dressed as a voodoo priest, you know, clothed kind of thing. Uh, Andy befriending a young girl during his time in the mental hospital. Um, uh, later on, Chucky tricks the same girl into helping him find out where Andy is. Uh, there's this girl still in the movie, like uh, when they they show up, like uh, the detective Norris and Andy's mom. Uh, 
his mom asked her. Ask her like, yeah. So she's still in the movie, but a lot of her stuff was cut out. Um, there's more footage of Chucky stalking Andy at the mental hospital, which I gotta say, like, it may have slowed the pace down, but that's my favorite stuff in the movie, so I kind of wish that was still in the movie. Um, a uh, possible translation for the chant of uh, Due, Ade, Due, Dumbala, um, which is uh, Haitian Creole, uh, translated comes to, I call to thee, Dambala, give me the power I beg of you, leave me mercy for this mor- from this mortal coil, grant me life beyond death, move my mortal soul into this mortal vessel. I command to thee, Dambala, I command to thee, Dambala, I command to thee, Dambala, move my mortal soul into this vessel. I command to thee, Dambala, I command to thee, Dambala, I command to thee, Dambala, and so on and so forth. Um, loses a lot in translation. It really does. Yeah, a lot better when it's just uh, Creole gibberish. Uh, the, the toy shop used in the beginning of the scene was actually a Chinese restaurant that had closed down in Chicago on the uh, corner of Wabash and Van Buren, very uh, popular area of, uh, in Chicago. Uh, also, in the toy store, you can see some real Ghostbuster items, specifically the Ecto-1 toy car. You just got busted one last time. Uh, Maggie was originally going to be executed, or electrocuted rather, in the bathtub. Um, they changed the scene, but they repurposed it for, Jennifer, for Tilly's kill in Bride of Chucky. I think probably more effectively. Probably. Although, that would have given this movie probably nudity, and um, <sighs> this movie will never be, uh, will be a perfect 10 because it doesn't have tits in it. No. And I don't care how good a slasher movie is, if you do not have tits in it, it cannot be ranked an A. So this has to be at least an A- because of no tits. Yeah, I'll agree. All right. Not to break anybody's hearts, but no fan questions this episode, and God knows we're already running long. Uh, But before we close up shop, I just wanted to take a moment to thank everybody that supports the podcast. We're moving into our fourth year, and the reception lately has just been absolutely incredible. Uh, We have a new number one episode. You alluded to it earlier. Um, much ha- of the chagrin of Fat Tony. Halloween 4. Yes, it's out of the blue. At least it's, it's not Kiss. <laughs> and objectively, I preferred Halloween 4 to Nightmare 4. Um, it's... The co-host just isn't as good as me. Sorry. <laughs> Hashtag it, facts. It's just, it's just weird. Just like across the board, um, episodes are just being downloaded at a lot higher rate. So, I mean, that that's all of you out there. Thank you so much. Thank you. And especially considering uh, we've changed formats within, you know, the last uh, six months or whatever. And um, the, the the feedback we've gotten has been great. Uh, more positive. But to still to see a, 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 an older episode, we were still doing just the running commentaries, be get so much love is uh, encouraging. Um, I just want to ask you, uh, of this past year, uh, what have been some of your, like, favorite episodes? Nightmare 2 and Exorcist, hands down. I really enjoyed this. It went a lot deeper. Uh, but yeah, definitely, honestly, Nightmare 2 would probably, if I had to pick one that I think we, we did justice to, we explored, I had a great interview with Jack Shoulder. <coughs> I, think, I think that's the, I mean, the, the, <coughs> the Exorcist is probably the most in-depth we've ever gone on a movie. And it's the most drunk I've ever been on the podcast. Yeah. And I slur a lot. I apologize. <laughs> But you know, my mama just died, so I don't apologize that much. We're not gonna, we're not going to apologize. For, I do want to thank you though for having me on as much. I know your other friends are pussies and can't come out because their their women tell them not to because they don't want them to die of COVID nineteen or some stupid. No, I'm just playing. They they die because they had their 
or pussy sewn no, up. No, at least the... my woman allows me to hold my balls every now and then. <laughs> um, um, but you, thank you for having me on no, here. No, so no, it's no, been the, fun. It's sadly his work schedule being what it is. I will not be able to appear as regularly because he won't be able to record on the weekends. Well, I mean, you're you, isn't like you're a. It's not like I'm never. It's yeah. just if there's a day he can, then I can. I will fucking drop everything to do it. I have a blast doing these. Yeah, it's the only time I'm not surrounded by fucking women constantly. <laughs> um. Uh. What about uh, some of the? Who's been your favorite uh, guest we've had? Or you know, oh, the uh, best I, guest spot you've ever had. I was talking to this the girl today. Was um, oh, fuck the Crypt Keeper. That's the only time I've been uh, John Kazir. John Kazir. John Kazir doing the intro for that, having such like my whole adolescence, not young childhood, but adolescence, and tales from the crypt. That's the only time I was like super. Star- I mean, I love all these intros. And, and any interviews and snippets you get, but the one that left me the most giddy was you getting the fucking Crypt Keeper. Yeah, that, that, that was a huge, that was a huge get. Um, John, thank you so much. Thank um, you. But I, I want to uh, say for, for the record, Mixtron, still my favorite. Um, good buds. Um, and if you're listening to this podcast on August 1st, uh, stay tuned August 2nd because I am going to be on Mixtron's podcast, Dream Warrior Review, and... Uh, uh, a little bit of uh, interesting uh, information about that podcast. They're relaunching with some new um, cover art, which was designed by me. The, I, I can't, I can't thank uh, Mick enough for you know <laughs> letting me do it, let alone having the opportunity to do it. But um, Mick is going to be on the podcast here again. But for him to ask me to be on his podcast, that's the greatest compliment I could Hell ever be yeah. paid. Um, so. I can't ignore the contributions of our other other guys. Uh, Stank Dick Eddie, Fat Fuck Scott, Titty Flip and Travis. I love you guys. I hope the world gets a little more back to normal. And, uh, I would drink. love to do an episode with somebody else. <laughs> I've tried and begged. It, it's, going, it's going to happen soon. So what we're going to do now, we're going to drink one final shot to our... Uh, Capping off three years. Three years. Here's to four. Season four. To you. Cheers. <coughs> Underproof vodka. Put hairs on your chest, make you man. All right. Uh, so everybody, raise your glasses and let's toast to the continued success <laughs> to a great, a great new season of the rants from the Black Lodge podcast. It went down the wrong hole. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he always said. Which can be found on a multitude of platforms, including iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, Podbean, Player FM iHeartRadio, and Pandora. Pandora. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, follow us on social media at Rance Black Lodge. Don't forget to stop by our homepage at JuicyKruger.com. I just want to excuse Brandon. We don't use stunt booze on this podcast. No, we do not. We use the real deal. Yeah, this is this is rock gut. Bottom shelf vodka. Good stuff, though. Um, please, for the love of Cthulhu, buy a t-shirt from our uh, web store at RanArmy.com. It really does help us out. Every little... You can give us, helps us, uh, you know, pay for hosting and, and all that stuff, which, uh, thanks to our sponsors, NGW, they, they help things out, but every little bit helps. We're a Ma and Pa uh, situation here. Might so. I suggest the Drunk Tony and or Fat Tony shirts? Wonderful. They uh, Anything you choose will be greatly appreciated, Absolutely. but you can't He's go wrong. Good stuff. Can't go wrong with any of them. So, to close out our three-year anniversary episode, for Fat Tony, 
I'm Brandon A. Lane. Till next month, Ran Army. Keep marching.